shocking. Patricia, my darling Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia. You could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no foolin'. I'm falling in love with you. Oh, Patricia, my darling, Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling. Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no foolin'. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. Everybody, Merry Christmas, Saturday night, December 23, 2017. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden. Hello, Larry. This is Patricia in Florida. That's Larry out in California. There's nobody in the middle, so please give us a call. That's true. Yeah, 714-545-2071. Merry Christmas to you, too. Walden, what are you going to be doing on Christmas before we hop on the air? Oh, well, let's see. On Christmas Day or what? Or the next two days or how do you want me to figure this whole thing out? Um, just on Monday, and then I'll ask you to repeat it tomorrow. Sure. Monday. You won't uh, remember it? I hope so. My brother's on a crazy work schedule. He's working six days a week. You know, Ouch. Sort of the deal with the grocery business. You know, yeah, it is. He works full time, so he's going in to work <clears throat> Christmas Eve at midnight. And so it'll probably be my duty to get him awake. Um, <laughs> so what, so thank goodness Michael Bill will be talking away and nobody will know that I will walk away. <laughs> 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 and go, and go into my brother's room, grab a big Notice toe. Notice how well contained I am over here? <laughs> and grab a big toe. 
and say, hey, hey, time to go. And my, my brother, my brother is Silent Sam. Um, when he wakes up, the only way I know is he's alive if I hear the spoon hit his cereal bowl. He won't say a <laughs> word. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not sure. Who's on the phone? Johnny's eating cheese popcorn right now. Thank you so much, John, for doing that in front of all of us. I'm sitting behind you. Oh, that's okay. Hello there, you're on with Patricia, Larry, and John. Oh, ho, ho, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Wow. Hey. I didn't Watch Mr. Kane's volume. I will. You know, i got to step on him when I need to. Go ahead, Barry. Okay, am I too loud or too soft? I'm, I'm yeah, no, too down. loud. Would, yeah, you could turn him down for me, Walton, I please. turn him down, too. Okay. All the way down. Go all the way to zero. <laughs> <laughs> see, now see, see how nice he is to me. <laughs> there we are. Call up, take time out of my religious holiday. Oh, Merry Christmas! You. We appreciate you sacrificing. Yeah. I have no guilt at all. We appreciate you sacrificing time to be with the hoi boy. Oh, okay? speak for yourself, Walden. <laughs> I appreciate you. Hello, how are you doing? This is Dave in Rhode Island. I'm charming. I I just. Uh, you know, I know, if I didn't deserve this kind of treatment, I'd be offended. Where do you usually go to deserve it? <laughs> yeah, I know, usually. You... <laughs> what what happened getting... to you? And, well, nothing, no, 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 nothing happened to me. I'm just talking yeah. about okay. the kind of disrespect. I'm getting ready to watch um, Larry. Miracle on 34th Street, where we talk about there is no such thing as Dave Kane, right? <laughs> <laughs> there weren't. That's exactly yeah. <laughs> What you do tonight, Dave? You know me, I got a little more pep. Well, what, what I? Oh, and I got beaten to a pulp. <laughs> first, first turned me down so I can't hear him. Then, then, then Larry starts with me. I mean, you know, jeez. Hi, hi, Patricia. Hello, Dave. <laughs> I'm sitting here just oh, absorbing man. all of this. Well, good. I'm glad to hear it. I just wanted to call and say. Merry Christmas to you. And Patricia, it's the, it's the bookkeeper. She'll write the letters to Santa to see who's been naughty or nice. So don't worry about it, Dave. Oh, she's still checking it. Okay, good. Yeah. I haven't gotten to Dave yet. Oh. Oh. It's not looking promising, though. <laughs> I, I know, I know. Believe yeah. me. How did yeah. the Christmas project pan out? Are you are you um, winding it, down or wind? Yeah. Oh yeah, well it, it's it's over. We had um, well, this year we were lucky. We only had eight hundred children to get for this year, um, oh and uh, we at the last minute—not uh, the last minute, but in the last week—we got a call, and they, it's going to be hard to believe this, and I don't want to bring anybody down, but we had forty-five children in the not just in a, in a five-city area that had mm-hmm. been removed from their houses. Forty-five kids, DCF wow. or another agency, had removed, and so we had to get them, um, you know, pajamas and coats and boots and warm mittens. Yeah, uh, because you know they were living in a situation that wasn't good for them, and so you know the, the foster family stepped in, and we. You know, but other than that, uh, it was a, it was a very smooth um, movement. This this time, and uh, we had eight hundred uh, kids at their Christmas. Wow! 
Dave, do you keep some things in reserve, like some extra blankets, some extra things in the building just in case something like that did pop yeah, up? Yes, we do. Yes, we yeah. And we've had this happen before. We've had... We've had the the program would be closed. It'd be a three. It'd be like now a couple of days before Christmas, and uh, we had a family get burned out of their house. Oh gee. So you know, then you go into into super mode, and you you do what you can to try to bring Christmas to those kids. In addition to helping all the other service agencies, of course, that bring the important stuff too. But you know, we wanted to make sure the kids didn't get beat out of Christmas, and so mm-hmm. yeah. So we we would work on that. So I mean, you never know. Every once in a while, you, you never know. Mm-hmm. Is it always eight hundred? Is it always eight hundred? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, no, it... no, Larry. Uh, well, it's usually between eight hundred and a thousand children a year. Wow. Yeah, wow. Uh, we had eleven hundred yet uh, two years ago. And, uh, a lot of kids. But boy, the communities come through. They come through. Yeah. yeah. How do you plan for that? Do you just have a ton of materials there just in case, no matter what the amount is? Oh no, 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 no. We we um, we tell the stories in the newspaper, and now I do it on the air again. We tell the stories about these kids, and we encourage people to call in, and we have trained elves, if you will, who answer the phones and will guide you to the the child you might like. I mean, some people might want to do a teenager, some people might want to do a little girl or a little boy. And so we help you and then we ask you how much you think you'd like to spend and we try to hook you up. And total strangers go in together with a child. For instance, one of the donors gets a toy and then the other donor might get the coat or the boots, you know, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Do you have a couple of Santa at the very end who will get, say, secretly, Dave, if there's 10 families left over, and I know I've already donated my quota, but you need that extra few bucks, you can get count on me writing and shit. That way, you at least make sure you try to help everybody that does. You know, this program has been so lucky and so successful. We have people who come forward all the time. Uh, ready to help us, and we end up having surplus money. We end up having surplus items, of course. Yeah. Um, I remember one year a young couple came in. These, I don't know; these kids probably couldn't have been more than nineteen, and they had a little girl. And they wo- just walked in off the street. Somebody had told them about us, uh, and they had just knew the area. And and the parents didn't have a winter coat. You know, these these t- teenagers didn't have a winter coat, and, they, and the baby had nothing heavy on. So we were able to outfit them all and get them all straightened out. Um, so we've been very lucky to be able to, to talk about it on the air and somebody will say, you know, I can do that. I can I can help you with this. Or I know somebody that's got this. Or I know somebody that's got that. Yeah. So, Dave, how did you find out about the 45 children who had been removed from their homes? How do we hear about it? Yeah. We, yeah. Were, we were contacted um, by the... Uh, Department of Children and Families, and um, we 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 talk to them all the time because they we we service a lot of their kids anyway, and mm-hmm. uh, then it comes to us, you know, well this has happened, and, and we have checked and find out that we had this this run of forty yeah. kids over the last several weeks, and so we we decide we're going to do what we can to take care of that help. Mm-hmm. So, uh, wow, it's, it's been really cool. And I'm very pleased, and it makes my Christmas. Yeah. You know, 
so tomorrow morning, or not tomorrow morning, Christmas morning, when these people who have donated are sitting on their couch watching their kids open their presents, they are also, or their grandkids, they are also can think about the child that they got something for this year, and that child is opening their present, and it's a really a terrific yeah. feeling. That's a warm, fuzzy feeling. Mm, really is. Really is. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, but I didn't call it to talk about that. I called to say uh, how much I enjoy you guys, and and uh, I, we are going to do a we'll do a Friday night radio thing pretty soon. As soon as I get, we're moving the studio, so as soon as they get that done with, um, then we can do something maybe on a Friday night. Sure, we can get well, we can get up early in the morning or get doing all night or whatever. Yeah, it, yeah. Whatever we need yeah to for do. me to do it at night, then it's for you guys to do it in the morning, so I'll do it at night. And and uh, then they can rerun it in my airtime uh, in the morning, so we get a double play out of it. And as long as, you know, if I don't want to do it, if I can get a recording of him chewing the popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask him about that. That would be good. So be good, yeah. is, your studio gonna get bi- is your studio going to get any bigger, or is it going to be any different? Uh, yeah, it's going to be all brand new. They're getting a new oh. control board and all all kinds of mm-hmm. bells and whistles on it. It's going to be really cool. Yeah, uh. it, it's uh. waiting to get into the the, uh, the the building we're going is actually attached to the one we're in now, but they, they're waiting for permission to get in there. Um, they're signing the lease I think next week, and then they'll be able to get in there and do all the renovations because it's going to be moving walls and. It's going to be really cool, and uh, and uh, I can't wait to uh, get my hands on that so I can start screwing up that equipment like I have <laughs> in the other place here. It's more modern equipment you've been playing with, Dave. Is it more computer based? No, it's transcription discs and, and carts. Yeah, a lot of it. A lot of it. A lot of more of it's going to be digital. You know, like we're going to have a a different kind. For instance, one of the things we're going to have a different kind of digital delay. Uh, which is interesting. He was talking about that the other day. Uh, we're going to have more phone lines to be able to do more with the phone lines. Mm-hmm. We have a separate. We have a separate phone bank now, and it's going to be in the board now. Mm. So the, you know everything. The you know the dialing buttons and the lines and everything will be right in the board. So it'll be a lot easier to to meld. You know, yeah. take take more than one call and be able to, you know, call conference and stuff like that. Which is really nice. It gives you a little more freedom and flexibility. Yeah, and uh, they're, they're going to have Skype, so we can do Skype. And, Great. Uh, we can do a bunch of other stuff, too. And it'll allow me to be here, now I'm here, that is, then be home and do the show if I want to do the show from the home. From my home, I can do that. Wow, what a feature. That's terrific. Yeah, it is. It is, but I, uh, I I like to go in. I mean, I like to go in and do it. You know? Not in four, 48 feet of snow. Well, yeah. Well, no, that's true. That's true. And I, but, but you know, that's what reruns are for. <laughs> what the oh. worst? What the worst weather, Dave? You ever had to go through to get to a radio station to do a show? Oh, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was on the air during the blizzard of '78 in the east. Uh, where they just shut down the entire eastern seaboard up there, northeast, and um, they sent a helicopter for me. <laughs> I, I Are you serious? Co- wow! The, where uh, did the chopper they, land? Uh, yeah. yeah, it was a it was a um, a combination radio television station 
WJAR in Providence, and uh, they sent a helicopter. Uh, well, they had to. They couldn't. This uh, you, you, you guys probably don't know as, as much about this as uh, I do, but um, we got a sudden snowstorm that came out of nowhere. Nobody even saw it coming, mm. and wow. and the snow was so high that there were cars stopped dead on 95 and completely covered in snow. And they wow. get the plows through because the cars were there. The cars were there, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was, well, I remember walking, I was walking from my home to my aunt's house. And it, it was the first I could get out before they, they came for me. And when I first got out, and we're walking down the street, and all of a sudden I looked over on the ground, and it wasn't the ground, it was the top of a, of a car. I was walking on on snow that was the height of a car. Wow! That's that's it was a, wow. incredible, and um, and it was really cool because the station was on the fifth floor of a huge. It was owned by the outlet company of a huge store, mega store. You know, it had it had furniture floor. It had you know um, beauty parlor. It had. Um, but as they called in those days a beauty parlor, and um, you know, um, and uh, cafeteria. So we lived in that place. We were wearing clothes from the men's department. We were sleeping in the <laughs> on the bedding in the furniture department. We were washing, cleaning up, and washing our hair in the in the beauty salon. And we were in there for several days on the year. I, I imagine. I imagine when you gave the tra- traffic report. Well, if really know nothing new to report, all the cars are buried in snow. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, it was it, it, during that blizzard, I, I created what was the non-cancellation cancellation. You know, right. when the snow comes and the radio stations used to list all of the cancellations, and that's all they would do all day. Mm-hmm. No, no school, no this, no work, no this. You know, Harry's barbershop is closed, blah, 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 blah. And it was getting ridiculous when it came in, and I said, this is so stupid. So I said, listen, I'm not going to tie our time up doing this. <laughs> I said, from now on, everything is closed. Everything is canceled. Everything. Now, if you know something that isn't, you call me, and I'll tell everybody. <laughs> but everything is canceled. I had, I had you know, 80-year-old women calling me up. Is the bingo still on? <laughs> is the bingo still on? If we're doing it by Ladies. phone tonight. Oh, that's a rip. <laughs> no, none of the men ever called for that. Well, I mean, it, it happened to be a lady. The men never win, that's why. But, but <laughs> it was just unbelievable. And so I said, that's it. Everything is canceled. That's it. Everything is canceled. Well, that was gutsy because, you know, of course, I'm... You know, some Benet Brith after some place. <laughs> what are you saying? You know, so. But that's that's why being live at a radio station is so much more fun. I mean, what we do here is fine, but we're home. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we used to go to the radio station, it was always an extra little thrill because you knew that it was live, and you knew whatever you said was said over the air. And you were, the radio station was around you. The people who worked at the station were around you. And it's always much more fun to be at a station. And especially if you've got a blizzard going on. And we were at a tornado once in Denver when, when, when we were at a station. 
it's just always a little extra special because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, we had well, we and I was doing this is before it was talk. I was I was a disc jockey. We were doing music, but we had the ability to put phones on the air, and people started calling in, and they were telling you like people like how to make bread with um, flour and water, and I mean we, yeah. everybody was caught. They had. They never saw. It. They never saw it coming. So if you didn't have bread, they tell you here's how to do this and how to do that. People calling in with all kinds of tips, and uh, one woman saying, "I ran out of oil." I know. Well, where do you live, ma'am? And a guy would call and say, "Well, I'm going to go over to that house and I'm going to, I'm going to bring us some oil. I have some." I mean, it was amazing. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, really terrific. Yeah. Very great. And uh, wow. when they said they were sending a helicopter, I said, yeah, yeah, you're right. And they did. <laughs> they couldn't get over it. They did. Where did it land? I actually lived near a ball field. So you had to get and, your body over there yeah, through well, all of that snow was a, and, a, and a, over a, to the chopper. It was a few blocks, but, I mean, it was a trek. Uh, that, mm-hmm. uh, the, that's when I saw the tops of the cars. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> no, I, I and actually, I could have walked on the cars. <laughs> Yeah, well, they could have landed in the street because there was no traffic. I mean, they could have yeah. anywhere, but they... they he he couldn't tell them. where the cars were, though. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And so and that was something, and it was great. I mean, that was... And you're right, Larry, the feel of going in is much better. It's more, You feel like you're... It's, you know, it's like trying to do a show from your living room uh, when you're supposed to be on stage someplace. It's being on stage that's the, the kick. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's like being on stage without an audience. It just doesn't the same. You got to have an audience. You got to have people around you. Yeah, and, yeah, do, yeah, and you know, like being somewhere where you're not normal, like it. Why would you do a show, a show at home unless you had to? You always, yeah. you always got to be in front of a station. Yeah, you really got to feel it. You gotta yeah, feel it. it's part of the. Yeah, it's part of the thrill. Absolutely. Not that I don't appreciate what I do now, but it's just different. At least I can take calls now. But it's not the same as being in, at a station, taking calls, dealing with the people who are at the station, learning all the scuttlebutt that happened since you were there last time. Right. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Also, another thing I noticed, too, about doing these live shows, I, I'm a lot more relaxed doing a live show than any time we used to do a recorded show. Because may have figured, if I make a mistake, so what? It was, I, I think when you're recording something, you try and have a tendency to be as lot of perfect as possible. Yeah, you want to rewind it and do it again. And mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, live is... And I think you're better live uh-huh. because of the pressure. I think you're better live because you know that... I agree. ...you say it's going to go. And you're saving... Uh, saving a line is better live. In other words, if you, you do mess up because you're live, you you fix it somehow. Right, or, real quick, because you, know, you can't go back. It, Right, and so and so you're better at that, and I think that works out better, too. There's just nothing like being on live. No, no. Well, listen, I didn't know I was coming here to take over the show. I just want to say hi and Merry Christmas, and I'm glad you guys are on the air, and I'm looking forward to listening all weekend. Too. And if there's anything Thank else to do for you, leave me alone. Okay. <laughs> you have a quiet weekend and spend some time with us and Merry Christmas. Oh, thanks so much. My whole family's coming in. They're coming in from San Francisco. And- Great. Oh. All cool. right. Perfect.
Can I tell you something real fast? It's just, I think you'll find it. Sure. Um, in Boston, they had the Marathon Bomber a couple of years ago. Yeah. And when they caught the the remaining brother, he was in a boat in water. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Somebody's backyard. Right. Exactly. And that boat was four houses from our son, Chris. Water. Oh, my gosh. They had the bombing in New York a few weeks ago, and the guy was from Brooklyn. Chris is in Brooklyn. He lived across the street from Chris. What is it about Chris? I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I just wanted to tell you that. By the way, Dave, when when people come to your house that are part of your family, are they they all Dave Kane-like in terms of demeanor and what they say and how they say it on the air type people or are they quiet subdued and you're the only one who's not no no no, no. I, I, i'm the quiet one in my house you know <laughs> uh, you know my, <laughs> my son david's an actor uh chris is um it was a stage director now he's gone into um, um social work he's got a he's got his third master's degree mm-hmm. wow social work yeah and uh, so he's he's very funny, very good, but quiet. You know, he's a little quiet. Nikki was uh, was the wild man, and uh, <laughs> and and we have Billy uh, from the San Francisco Opera. So it, it, it's all very eclectic. But but I, I'm very subdued. I I do less talking than anybody in in home. Wow. So it, it's they all get together and they're all crazy. I sit back <laughs> and watch the fun. Have you ever had them on the air? Together, uh, I've had Billy on the air. I've had David on the air. I had Nikki yeah. on the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm, I haven't had Chris on the air yet, but I'm, I'll have him on one of these days soon. And uh, oh, one other thing, I, I, I got to tell you my favorite new joke. Okay. This, this, <laughs> okay. This, and this is I'm ready. This is for Pat, Patricia's going to love this one. Okay. Guy, guys, in, a guy is walking in a hospital, and he's walking down a corridor. And he sees a, a door opens up, and he sees a nun coming out of an examining room, right? And she comes out, and she looks awful. She's pale and ashen and weak, and she's holding, she's shaking a little, and she's holding the wall of the walk. And he's very concerned. And and the doctor comes out, and the guy says to the doctor, "Doc, is she okay? She looks awful." He said, "Oh no, she's okay. I just had to tell her she's pregnant." <laughs> oh my God, she's pregnant? He said, no, but it cured her hiccups. Oh my. <laughs> oh. Okay, I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. See you later. Goodbye. Bye, Dave. Okay. Good night, Dave. Uh, 714-545-2071. Don't have to give out the phone number practically. Hello, you're on with Patricia. Larry and John. Yoo-hoo. Hello, dear. Yoo-hoo. Hello. No, hello. Call back. If you are listening to us, which you probably are, do call back. All right. Well, hang up. 714-545-2071. Patricia has Rudolph. Patricia's already done a couple hours today, so we're going to let her go to bed a little early than normal. Just because she got she got three more hours tomorrow, so I don't wanna. I know, but you know, <laughs> I can do that. I know, but you know, 
But, you know, it's so funny. I think we can all relate to this. Sometimes we are a little tired or whatever, but once showtime, then it's just the energy level. It is. And how many times have we said that? Oh, gosh, I am really wiped out tonight. Oh, Hello, everybody. This is, <laughs> and we're just bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. It's true. It's true. How did that happen? I don't know. It's just the, I think because we all love doing this for one thing. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a matter of love and joy. It's a lot of fun. But I think we feel like we're, just, we're, we're sharing the goodness of this being together. And I think that's it. Yeah, we have a good time. We have a good time and hope people are joining us. <laughs> it's, it is a hang-loose program. Mm. And we're having a good time. It's open house, you know? Well, should we get into Rudolph? Should we get started? Oh, sure. Yeah. We can do the rest. Of, I think we can do the rest of Rudolph. Okay. And then, and then we'll have the night before Christmas tomorrow. Okay. All right. Well, Santa Claus has discovered that Rudolph has a bright nose. He tried to deliver gifts to the Rudolph house, and um, it was actually the reindeer house. And he, down the hall, he was shitting his knees, and he fell out of the chimney. It was so dark because of the fog cover. And he discovered Rudolph's bright nose and asked him if he would come and help him deliver toys. And he couldn't go down the chair or up the chimney. So Santa told him he would pull his sleigh around the front of the house. So Rudolph pranced out through the door very gay and took his proud place at the head of the sleigh. The rest of the night, well, what would you guess? Old Santa's idea was a brilliant success, and brilliant was almost no word for the way that Rudolph directed the deer and the sleigh. In spite of the fog, they flew quickly and low and made such good use of the wonderful glow from Rudolph's um, forehead at each intersection that not even once did they lose their direction. And here is Santa pulling around the corner, and there is a direction sign. Rabbitville points in one direction, South Pole in another, and New York in the third. So I guess they were on their way to New York. While as for the houses and streets with a sign on them, they merely flew close so that Rudolph could shine on them. To tell you who lived where and just what to give whom, they'd fly by each window and peek in the room. Old Santa knew always which children were good and minded their parents and ate what they should. So Santa selected the gift that was right while Rudolph's um, forehead gave just enough light. It all went so fast that before it was day, the very last present was given away. The very last stocking was filled to the top just as the sun was preparing to pop. The sun woke the reindeer in Rudolph's hometown, and they found the short message that he had written down, then gathered outside to wait for his return. And were they excited, astonished to learn that Rudolph, the ugliest deer of them all, Rudolph the red-nosed, bashful and small, the funny-faced fellow they always called names and practically never allowed to play in their games, was now to be envied by all far and near, for no greater honor can come to a deer than riding with Santa and guiding his sleigh. 
the number one job on the number one day. Um, give me a ding. Ding. Turning pages. Ah, the sleigh and its reindeer soon came into view. And into view, not an interview. And Rudolph still led them as downward they flew. Oh boy, was he proud as they came to a landing right where his handsomer playmates were standing. These bad deer, who used to do nothing but tease him, would now have done anything only to please him. They felt even sorrier that they had been bad when Santa said, Rudolph, I never have had a deer quite so brave or brilliant as you as fighting black fog and at guiding me through. By you, last night's journey was actually bossed. Without you, I'm certain we'd all have been lost. I hope you'll continue to keep us from grief, our future dark trips as commander-in-chief. But Rudolph just blushed blushed from his head to his toes until his whole fur was as red as his nose. The crowd first applauded, then started to screech, Hooray for our Rudolph! We want a speech! But Rudolph was bashful despite being a hero and tired. His sleep on the trip totaled zero. So that's why his speech was just brief and not bright. Merry Christmas to all! And to all, a good night. And that's why, whenever it's foggy and gray, it's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer who guides Santa's sleigh. Be listening this Christmas, but don't make a peep, because that late at night, children should be asleep. The very first sound that you'll hear on the roof, provided there's fog, will be Rudolph's small hoof. And soon after that, if you're still As a mouse, you may hear a swish as he flies around the house. And he gives good light to Santa's view of you and your room. And when they're all through, you may hear them call as they drive out of sight. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. And there goes Rudolph. The end. Now, that doesn't sound like the song. No. The story, the, the story is intact, but it doesn't sound like the song. So are there pictures on every page? How do they write Every that? page has a picture. And I should have described the pictures as we were going, shouldn't I? No, I think you can do that tomorrow. I can do that tomorrow? <laughs> okay, when, ta- when Santa tangled in treetops, there he is in the treetop. And when he almost hit a tri-motored plane, there he is underneath the plane. So, yeah, it's very richly illustrated. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Patricia is here, and tomorrow uh, it will be interesting. We'll come back on at four o'clock Eastern to eight, and we're gonna break it up and shift because you know people got things to do. So uh, John will to do it a little bit early, then they gotta go shopping for the family on Christmas Day. So you know what you guys are getting yet, or is that gonna be a flipping <laughs> coin? I guess we'll find out. Hello there, you're on air. You did a wonderful rendition, Patricia. Thank you. I agree, Jim. The story was actually, I thought, more fun than the song. I mean, the song was But there was so much for detail, the um, story. And I thought, as far as the pictures go, this is the mind's eye, the imagination is far more... (laughs) 
important than the pictures. Mm, probably. It was for me. <clears throat> and I really liked the story. Did you have an opportunity to hear the first two-thirds of it? Uh, not this year, but I want to tell you that RCA <laughs> did release in 1947 a two-record 78 with one of the great storytellers of kids' records on the RCA label, Paul Wing. And he read that same story in a two-record set about 1947. Wow. Well, we did it in... There is one site. I don't know about downloading, but you... And uh, I'm sure Peter has it in the Kitty Record King collection, but you might be able to find it on... There's a site called... If you just type in Kitty Records, there's a thing called Kitty Records Weekly, and they have a Chris several uh, years of things they've put up there in stream, and there is a Christmas section, several Christmas sections up there, and I think Rudolph Paul Wing's rendition may be up there. Mm-hmm. There is a Kitty place, and it might be Kitty Records that I was able to download from. Mm-hmm. Are we able to download from that particular site? I'm not sure if you pay for that or if you can do it free. I've heard mixed stories about that. Yeah. Well, whatever I downloaded, I downloaded for free. And that's where I got uh, Hal Perry reading Red Rose and Sherlock Holmes reading a couple of fairy tales for kids. And that was really cool. uh, Hmm? uh, Walden has in his collection that we sent him that Peter made for me, He's got on his, a bunch of Kitty 78s, and he does have Gene Autry's original Rudolph song, and the famous B-side that he thought would be a hit that nobody remembers called If It Doesn't Snow on Christmas. It Doesn't Snow on Christmas. I was trying to remember mm-hmm. when I was telling someone about Gene Autry the other day. I was trying to remember was on, what was on the flip, but mm. he sure missed the call on that one, didn't he? Yep. Well, his, his, he, he didn't even want to do it. But his wife liked the song, Rudolph. She always liked the underdog. And she's a record promoter. Was she? Ah, okay. And, and, and same got me. I think the story goes, you know, it was the, it was the last song in the last section, and they just did it once. Yep. And that was it. You know. I always liked If It Doesn't Snow on Christmas. I thought it was kind of cute. Uh, I also like Gene Autry's... Uh, there's a number of Chris, Merry Christmas, uh, Walden has a bunch of those Gene Autry 78s in that group. Is it Merry Christmas, you all from Texas? Mm-hmm. Yep. Texas, Merry Christmas. Yep. My favorite one, because my mom had it, was on the flip side of Hard Rock, uh, Coco and Joe, was 32 feet and eight white, eight. Eight little tails. Yeah. Yeah, 32 feet and eight little tails. Yep, and I saw that today when I was, I went through 13 drives today to find the Hollywood Choir for tomorrow night. I was making sure I could find... Did you find it? Yep, I did. Yeah? I found it. You transferred all those to your drive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, but, you know, when you have 18 drives, yeah. it can take a while. <laughs> but it's there. Did you, have the- did you find the uh, Williams Brothers album? I did not. I don't think I've ever had it. Gosh, I must have it in the garage in vinyl. Doggone it. <sighs> I thought for sure I had it on my drive, but I can't find well, it. Maybe it's we'll Andy Williams and his brother singing Christmas carols. Oh, okay. Maybe, we, maybe it's on iTunes. It's got to be on iTunes somewhere. I was well, sure. I'll have, have to look. On that I group. didn't know he had any brothers. Who's been? 
On that oh, yeah. 78s, there's some great things. There's things like uh, Big John and Sparky singing uh, Christine the Christmas Tree. There's uh, the two records by Brenda Lee when she was like, mm. how old was she when she made that? I think nine. Young. Nine? nine. Yeah. Yeah, Patricia, that's how Andy got started. It was his brothers, the four wooden brothers, started in Iowa, and then went to Chicago National Barn Dan. And you ever heard her Bing Crosby song, A Wish Upon a Star? Oh, sure. That's the backed up by the end. That's wish, them. That's them. And wow. there's an excellent book. Andy Williams, before he died, wrote his own autobiography called Moon River and Me. It has been recorded by NLS. Yes. And he talks about all of that. And you know who managed Andy and the Williams brothers for a long time was Kay Thompson. Right, who married to William Spear of Sam Spade fame. Right. She later created the famous children's story, Eloise, about the little girl that lived at the plaza in New York. But she managed the William Andy, and she would make comments about what she liked or didn't like about his television show. She was very candid, you know, and how she felt. But it was an excellent book. He talks about his career, he talks about his songs, his TV shows, his marriage to Claudine Loger, and uh, it's an excellent book. He's very candid in his book. He admit he talks about his failings and his successes. I recommend it, Moon River and Me. I'll go find it. I haven't read it yet. Yeah, he spoke in front of Pacific Pine. He was on the, you know, honored by the PPB like, just about a year or two before he passed away. Yeah, and we ha- I, I had a chance to interview him. Um, it was a promoting Andy Williams Theater and they're in Branson, Moon, the Moon River Theater. So we got a chance to talk to him a little bit. But uh, did get to interview him. Yep. Yeah. You know what was interesting about Moon River? It was, of course, featured in the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's, mm-hmm. and Ray Mancini wrote the music, and I think Johnny Mercer wrote the lyrics. Right. But it was never a single by Andy Williams. Henry Mancini and Jerry Butler had successful singles, but Andy did it on an album. It was never released as a 45 single, yet that song became so associated with him. Well, yeah. if you think about it, the 60s, the, the, the American easy listening performers, Sinatra, Johnny Mathis, Andy Williams, the bread and butter were albums, they weren't singles. And, you know, was it Johnny who had been on on the charts for albums for like a, over 100 weeks or some crazy thing? It's just well, that one album of his was on for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and, of course, uh, Andy Williams, uh, well, he had singles, you know, like Can't Get Used to Losing You and Days of Wine and Roses and mm-hmm. um, like that. But, um, and of course, his TV show made him... Although that one Christmas song, It's the Most Wonderful Time, was, oh. a, was a Christmas single. It's a great song, too. <coughs> I agree, and so is... Hang on. <coughs> so is his version of Happy Holidays. Happy Holidays. Yeah. yeah. Another yeah. great version of Happy Holidays was by Stephen Eady. Stephen Eady, yeah. 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 Yes, it was. It was really, really good. I, I don't know if Steve is still performing after Edie's passing. I haven't seen him or heard about I him heard. in yeah, years. He, he's living in Las Vegas. 
Yeah. You know, I interviewed him about 10 years ago, but it's just, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, once he passed away, uh, he might have just shut everything down. I'm not, I, I, I don't know. One of my favorite Edie Gourmet records came out in the summer of 1958, and it was called You've Gotta Have Rain, and she sang it with some kids. And it goes, if we didn't have rain, then we wouldn't have flowers. If we couldn't have rain, you couldn't take showers, something like that. Mm. It's a real cute song, but she recorded it with some kids. I mm. thought her version and his version of This Could Be the Start of Something Big was a great record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, and interesting, what they did a lot of times, they never saw each other during the day. The first time they might have seen each other was when they got on stage together. Really? Yeah, they would... Uh, you know, he would pop, Steve, I think, was running the business side, and he was probably getting ready. And so, uh, you know, they were busy doing their own thing, and sometimes the first time they would see each other during the day, be on stage. Well, I heard later, Dennis Terry told me this. He's the oldies host. Steve, did, although they were successful, Steve did not like their rock and roll, the pop era when a lot of their rock records were played on rock and roll charts. Like the Go Go Away Little Girl and mm-hmm. those other records. He did not he was not really a fan of his pop era. Even if it was successful. I thought it was interesting when we had uh when when uh, Patricia interviewed Bobby Rydell a couple of months ago, uh, it's how he really considered himself not a rock and roll singer at all. It was just you know, I think he his heart was mostly in the big band, because that's what he grew up watching, and mostly he considered himself a, uh, a easy listening performer, but, you know, to make any money, he was doing that, doing that rock. That was happenstance. I, I also found it interesting when he said he doesn't really care if he's admitted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or not. <laughs> that's true. I thought that was a fascinating interview, and it was, you know, when he was talking about his mother and the way he was treated... Ron and I were talking on the phone about that shortly afterwards, and it makes you, it makes you just, when you hear things like that, it makes you just thankful you're lucky to have the parents you had. And he considered himself extremely lucky because he had a father who sure. cared and introduced him to music. Yeah. Right. So he was, he was, I don't want to say he was content with that, but he seemed to relish the thought that he had a father who took very good care of him and nurtured him in his music. I really thought it was an interesting interview, Patrice, don't you think? I mean, he, he definitely, he, he's had nothing to hide or, or kept in mm-hmm. when, when you nope, asked very him open. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was, a, it was a great interview, and um, it was just, you know, um, I, I guess sometimes, of course, we've heard about other celebrities whose parents... You know, I don't know if the stories about Joan Crawford are true or not, or if his daughter was stretching it or telling I have no yeah. way of knowing, but it goes to show, I guess, that sometimes life can be uh, disappointing sometimes. Yeah. You know, if you have a parent that maybe doesn't know how to manage things. It is so noteworthy that so many of the talented people we knew as adults or know them as adults had really challenging childhoods. Yeah. And it was almost like their their acting skills were honed by having to act in different ways at home. 
you know, a parent who wouldn't tolerate crying, you you develop a oh, a hard shell on that and behave as if it doesn't hurt. So it always makes me wonder whether or not their their on stage personalities or in movie personalities or recording personalities, if their childhoods were different, would they have even considered show business? Yeah, that's a possibility. I've never thought of that. And I know sometimes show business was probably an escape for them mm-hmm. to to make their lives better and to get out of maybe a situation that was yes. difficult. Yes, indeed. And then, of course, you have the parents who were the quintessential abusers and went through the kids' earnings, and there was nothing left when they grew up. They couldn't even go to college. And, you know, it's it's just dreadful to think. No, it's not dreadful to think. It's heartbreaking to think of the dreadful situations that some of these kids were in. I heard an interview once with Jay North talking Mm -hmm. about, well, Dennis the Menace and all of that. Yes. Yes. He mentioned some of the difficulties he had, and he said, he said he knew he well. He, he said he knew everything was okay, and he could put Dennis the Menace behind him. He said when he and his girlfriend were watching a rerun of Dennis the Menace, and his girlfriend dozed off during it, then he said, <laughs> "I know everything's okay. I put Dennis the Menace behind me." <laughs> That's funny. Well, anyway, That's I funny. I talked earlier, so I just wanted to make those comments about. Rudolph, and if you can if, if you can hear the Paul Wing rendition, back with background music, that mm-hmm. uh, that is a commercial recording of it. Great, I will try to hunt it down. Okay then. Thank you, Jim. All right, thank you, Jim. Good work. And Merry Christmas if we don't get to talk to you again. Yeah. Sure thing. Sure thing. Bye. Well, we we got all day tomorrow and Monday. He'll be on. <laughs> you think? Oh yeah. Okay. I think so. Okay, I will do that. He'll find, something that, he'll find something that uh, maybe we missed or that he wanted to expand on, and he'll call back. Oh, sure. Yeah, my laundry was fine. It was done at about one. John's took a little longer. Why? Because he started later. Oh, that was yeah. <laughs> yeah. sense. We've only got one washing machine, of course. No, we have actually uh, three rooms. And... Uh, I, I use just one washer and one dryer. He uses two because he wants to get done sooner. And how much does it cost, Larry? Is it a buck? Uh, it costs. Let's see. A dollar twenty-five to wash, and a dollar a dollar to drive. Is that right? Wait a second. One, two. No, dollar fifty to wash. Six quarters and wow. four to drive. And how much to drive? Four quarters, Buck. Hmm. So you spend two and a half dollars down there. Yep. Per load. Oh, that's all? Per load. You reuse yeah. you re- use your underwear or something? No. You have thirty days of underwear in there? Oh no, no. I I I do laundry about once a week. Once every other week or so, so hmm. Oh no. Okay. I have plenty of underwear though. I you know, I I bought several just, you know, because I, I always want to have extras around just in case. Mm-hmm. Extra clothes. I always have extra clothes just in case. But I was glad I got done what I did because it did start to get cold. And I'm not out yet, out and about purposely. John's actually going shopping tomorrow for me. 
because uh, I really I'm not going to church either. I want to stay in and not get out because it's a little chilly here, not by other people's standards, but it's chilly. So what? Why are you, John, taking to the family get together on Monday? I'm taking rolls, and he's taking some form of dessert. And I said, no fair, John, taking anything that's wine-related. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> he, he he's not bringing wine this time. My uh, my sister's bringing wine. But he's bringing whatever, pie, who knows, maybe cheesecake, kind of, what I, whatever he looks, whatever they look for and say looks nice, you know. Key lime pie. Yeah, that would work too. What the main? What the? Does Kevin have a traditional meal they put out for Christmas Day? That's actually my niece is doing it doing Monday. It? Yeah, so um, uh, ham, and I think there's turkey, and and I didn't see what else was going to be brought. I know that there were some choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, green bean casserole, potatoes, salads. I'm bringing three rolls, three dozen Hawaiian rolls. Which I like. What's the Hawaiian roll? It's a sweet flavor. It's a sweeter roll. Yeah, it is. And they're called Hawaiian rolls. And you don't even need butter for them necessarily. But they're really good. Hmm. I think I'm living on the wrong end of the continent. I'm still a brown and serve kid, though. I still, that's the roll I grew up. Which one? Brown and serve. Those are good, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, those are really good. Seven one four five four five two. And I also asked him to look because I, after all these years, I, I want to go use my thermometer. I have a talking tooth talking thermometers, and neither one of them work. And so I thought, shoot, did the batteries go? Mm. And I don't know what batteries they take. Um, I'm hoping it's not one of those small, little, weird batteries. Yeah. You know, that you have to go to a... a oh, a, yeah, the little lithium batteries. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't remember. And I couldn't figure out how to get the, the back off. So I gave him both of my thermometers and said, see if these take double A, probably triple A, if they take a battery. But see what they take. And if they take a triple A, I've got some. If they take something weird, then just bring it home and I'll have to figure it out. Because it's 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 funny you don't you know I don't use thermometers that often because I don't have fevers that often but when yeah. you want them then you can't use them because they run out of batteries. I think they got these new thermometers that you just place on your forehead and give a reading now. Yeah, but how do they operate? How do they work? With a battery. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you have to put them under your tongue. You just put it against your forehead. Mm-hmm. And the boy says. You're hot. <laughs> yeah, you're hot, Larry. <laughs> you're a hot kid. So, how much iodine was in those old-fashioned thermometers? I mean, could you poison yourself? Mercury. Oh, it's not iodine. No, it's mercury. Mercury. So, could could you have poisoned yourself if you broke it? You I, sure could. We wow. didn't know it when we were kids. Oh, wow. We used to play with those and toss yeah. them and all yeah, kinds and you rub of stuff. Dimes, you rub it on on a dime, and it's shines it it's like a, a sunshine brilliance and you know we would roll it around the floor and put them put them together and then break them break them up into little little bubbles and we just did not know there are people who died from 
handling that kind of stuff. I'm amazed that they let those loose, but I mean, today they've got all kinds of warnings and stuff, but still. Yes. Well, so, interesting. My, my, my dad grew up during the time when they had the, the soldiers were made out of lead. You know, I mean... The, when the mm-hmm. soldiers were made out of lead? Uh-huh. The, the little toy soldiers, yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about a human being. That's <laughs> <laughs> what he said. I know, that's what he said. Yeah. You're forgiven, Larry. I take Walden at face value, which must not be knew. a good thing to do. Yeah, well, I thought everybody <laughs> knew what we were talking about. Yes. Uh, 714-545-2071. So Larry and I will be here at the beginning tomorrow afternoon. And we'll play the radio show. Patricia will be in the late shift. And then we'll be together tomorrow evening and uh, we'll see how Barbara does reading the night before Christmas. We'll also start calling NORAD tomorrow and if you if you have nothing else to do you can start calling them at 5 in the morning Eastern Time Sunday. Holy so, mackerel. Yeah. Hello there. You're on with Patricia and Larry. Hi Walden. Hi Patricia. Hi Larry. It's Virginia in Wisconsin. Hi Virginia. Hi, Virginia. John was just sending you an email. Merry Christmas to all of you. Uh, Merry Christmas Merry to Christmas, you. Virginia. I haven't talked with you forever. I know, and you sound wonderful, my dear. Well, thank you ever so. I have I'm feeling better, yeah. I have an Andy Williams story to share with you um, when oh, you were good. talking about um, uh, Andy Williams. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the late 80s, Andy was going around doing his Christmas shows, you know, in different cities. And I gave my parents, my husband Adrian and I gave my parents tickets to the Andy Williams show. Mm -hmm. And it so happened that on the day of the show, we had one of our famous Milwaukee storms that was ice and snow and wind and just (laughs) awful. And my parents drove up, my dad drove through anything, and, and they drove up anyway, and we went to the show and had a really good time, and my dad said after the show, he said, well, you and your mom wait here by the side door, and Adrian and I will go get the car, because it was really icy, and, and they parked it about three blocks away, and so they went to get the car, and as we were standing there waiting, somebody came out and said, you know, hello, um, would you like to come and meet Andy Williams? And, of course, we said yes, you know. And we spent about two minutes with him. He was absolutely wonderful. Um, he asked us, you know, my mom, you know, they watched him when I was growing up, and, and you know, we always watched his Christmas shows, and and so he asked what we were going to be doing, and we said we were going home and having um, my mom's lemon pie, and he said, oh, I wish I could come and have some lemon pie with you. And my mom said, well, if, if she had known that, she would have baked him a lemon pie and brought it to him. But he was just as nice as could be, and my dad and Adrian were so jealous that we got to meet Andy Williams. He didn't. But he was just charming. That's a great story. For the two minutes we spent with him, we were the most important people in his world, you know. 
Now, if you had had invited him home for pie, do you think he would have come? You know, I don't think so. The weather was so crummy. I mean, I think I think my mom thought about it, but she was sort of, you know, it, it was, you know, it was it, it happened so quickly. But no, I don't think so. I. You know, he's a, he was a boy from a small town in Iowa. You just never know what the small what, what small town in America like that. You just That's, never know. My gosh, I could have written a book if he'd done that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, promised you several weeks ago um, two books, I think, that Catherine Crosby wrote. And then my and then my drive with all my solid personal information, including that book, crashed and it, it was gone for two weeks. Today I just happened to think, well, I wonder what would happen if I click on it, and it appeared. I don't know why. I'm not sure how, but I've gotten everything off of that drive now except for the books, right. which I'm going to start working on tomorrow. So uh, there has been a delay, and I'm hoping to get it done. And uh, and John, either you're going to send an email to John or John's going to send an email with an invitation to a Dropbox folder where we can put some other stuff, and I'll make sure the books go in there, too. Just one second, though, Larry. That's fine, but my Gmail address is not my Dropbox address. Okay. Just go ahead and send me your Dropbox address, then. I, I will. Yeah, that's I fine. I will. I will. Because um, my Dropbox is in my starter okay. email address, and so um, I, I don't. I haven't uh, connected up with Google. I saw mm-hmm. how you could do it, but then I couldn't figure it out. So um, I, I haven't done that. So it's under my oh, my older email address. Okay. So, yeah, just send it to me. I'll, I'll get it done. I'll do that. And um, I just wanted to say Merry Christmas, and um, I am going to Seattle. In oh. January. Uh huh. Like I always. How long will you do, be there? Because I hate January, so I go and spend it with people I like to be with. Oh. Good. Yeah. How long will you be there? Huh? Two weeks. Ah, oh, two weeks. Ah. Mm-hmm. We're going in April for the radio convention for, no, for Reps. Sometime I'd love to be there when that happens. You know. That it is be. generally much fun. It really is. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> You're sounding better, Larry. I hope you're feeling better. I'm feeling better. The energy level is not where it needs to be yet, but it's getting closer. But much better than it was even this morning. Oh, my gosh. If you listen to Same Time, Same Station tomorrow or whenever for this coming week, holy mackerel. What a difference. <laughs> what well, yeah, a difference. You too good when I heard you on, was it Thursday night late when you were on or... You know, after, might have, might have been. You know, I th- and I thought, gosh, that doesn't sound like Larry. That sounds like Larry's grandfather. Yeah. Well, it, I lose track of when because we're doing so much stuff now. But I think it might have been Thursday. It was. Yeah. Right. It wasn't. Yeah. So no, it's better. Good. Good. So. And I know. will be listening off and on. I won't be listening much tomorrow because. I do I do my main Christmas celebrating on Christmas Eve, so uh, I'm leaving, you know, in the afternoon and won't be home until, oh gosh, probably about oh ten o'clock your time. So oh wow, 
So, wow. Well, if not, we'll catch with you on Christmas night, Virginia. You know. There you go. Yes, I'll be I'll be here then. So I'll be listening, and I enjoy it. And and I have something. We must continue Patricia's education in Braille. Okay. Oh yes. Uh, yes. 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 <laughs> that, we will you had to rock your brain a little bit on that one. It's been a long time since we talked about that. You want the alphabet, and you want it five letters on each line, and I will do that and get that out. I'll send it to Walden. Well, I can give you, I can give you Patricia's address. She, 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 uh, yeah, and if you send me an email, I'll send you my address. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And you do have my email address, Florida Writer at Hotmail.com? Yes. For a while, it wasn't working for me for whatever reason, and I, so oh I don't know, but... But I think it will work in my Gmail account. I think it was just my charter account where it was, you know, screwy. Mm. Yeah. It, your, charter but you didn't get poorly. mine for whatever reason. I, and I have no idea why that, why that was. I, I'll, I'll try it again, and if, I, if it doesn't work, then I'll... Um, Send it to me, and I'll forward it to I'll, Patricia. Okay. Yeah. And Florida Writer is all one word. It's not That's split apart, so maybe that was right. a problem. Right. Mm-hmm. Got okay. it. Okay. All right. Well, it's so much fun talking with you. I'm so glad I got to. Yeah. My treat. And uh, you are just sounding wonderful, Teresa. Uh, Teresa. Sorry, I was <laughs> talking to my friend, yes. Teresa. Teresa, <laughs> Patricia, you know, all these A names. Virginia. <laughs> yeah. So when are you having your back surgery? Do you know? I do not know. Um, I have to get a cardiologist clearing before I can do that because I have to get cleared for anesthesia. Sure. And they, you know, I showed up at the doctor's office, and I signed in, and I said, I have an appointment with Dr. Hoffman. And the woman behind the desk said, no, you don't. Oh, no. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. She said, oh, he's been away for a week, and he's going to be away for Christmas, too. Oh. I said, And she said, oh, and we've been trying to get in touch with you. I said, I don't live at my phone number anymore. Oh, oh and, and she said, you know, we could. I said, wait a minute. You've got my email address. Well, I don't think so. I said, you sent me two confirmations of the appointment, and one of them arrived yesterday, so somebody has my email address. They sent confirmations oh. and had already canceled it. So I have to go back. That's not a whine. I mean, it, it's not a big deal. Gee whiz. Sure. A little disappointing, but not a huge deal. So I see him on January 3rd, and then I can call the surgeon and go ahead and schedule stuff. Well, great. And you yeah. will feel miraculously better once that's over. Oh, I'm sure I will. I'm planning on it. This is the only time I've ever looked forward to a, to a medical procedure and a surgical procedure. So I'm cool on it, yeah. Yes, yes. Well, thank you, everybody. Merry Christmas, Virginia. Thank you, and Merry Christmas. Be safe and have a good time um, on your vacation. Yeah. Okay. Goodbye, Larry. Bye-bye, Virginia. We'll talk to you soon, and send me that email. I will. Okay. Bye. Bye, Virginia. Merry Christmas. Okay. Walden, we're not hearing you for some reason. No, you just disappeared on us. Oh, I wonder why. Oh, okay. That's better. So, what would you do? I, just got, I got on top of the mic. Well, now you know why. You don't have to say, I wonder why. You just you just figured it out. <laughs> Dear me. <laughs> Dear me. So, Okay, so what's next on the list? 
Uh, I've the, got some stuff. The, if you have some stuff or trivia. I have some stuff. It's up to you, my dear. Oh, I have some stuff. Let me see here. Um. Oh, I still have the Christmas sayings and the superstitions. Okay. And we have something like Christmas on the World War II home front. Okay. That's pretty interesting. And we have, what else do we have here? Mm, don't go away. I've got these stacked up here. Mistletoe. We've got lots of mistletoe myths and something like Christmas trivia and more Christmas trivia and Christmas information. That was kind of fun. So which would you like? Have you been keeping track as I go along? I have. Uh, what are you in the mood to do? Anything. Either either Christmas information in general, like since 1971, province of Nova Scotia has presented Boston a Christmas tree. Okay, let's do that. Let's do, let's do your information on that. <laughs> or we could do... That's <laughs> okay. All right. The first Christmas tree retail lot in the United States. Give me a shot on which state had the first oh, Christmas wow. tree lot. What, hmm? what city? What state, huh? Hmm. I would guess Michigan. No, just, just, just the location. Yeah, the state. I don't even need the city. Uh, Michigan would be my inclination. No. Larry? I think he stepped away. To, oh. uh, Ohio. New York City. Oh, my gosh. Not even close. I know. Isn't that remarkable? Okay, let's see. We have um, from 1887 to 1933, a fishing schooner called Christmas Ship would tie up at the Clark Street Bridge in Chicago and sell spruce trees from Michigan to Chicagoans. It would haul from Michigan. Christmas trees and sell them to Chicago people. Oh. How about that? Wow. Very good. I, I can tell you're really excited about that one. No, I, I am. Away. Oh, I good. Okay. Yeah, we come with sound effects tonight, as you can probably tell. Can you tell? Trunks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that, that kind of thing. Yeah, in the background. Okay, let's see. <clears throat> Trish is near a vending machine, everybody, so if you hear a sort of pop fall out, you know why. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um, let's see. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm, I'm, Larry, I swear you gave me some stuff here. Probably so. Um, I, and, and cool, it goes to the phone. I, I never knew it was transferable by phone. Uh, I didn't either. <laughs> Okay. In the in the United States, there are more than fifteen thousand Christmas tree farms. That's good. And that was so, that was so much fun talking to Michael Quinn this year. Thank oh, gosh, it was for, uh, mm. for doing that. And I know, Larry, thank you for sending the file and making the CDs for him. That I think he really, I think it meant a lot to him. So I think I'm glad we pulled that one all, all we put, off. We He had me on a limb, so I had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. That went sailing over my head and immediately boomeranged. I yeah. got it. I got it. I got it. Oh, hooray, hooray. Okay, let me see here. We got Hello there, your Patricia and Larry. Patricia and Larry. And Dan. Hello, Daniel. How are you? 
been signed. Now, Walton's now, still here, isn't he? Yes. Now I have. I, yes. I, we have a we have a question for you, Dan. Okay. How may I help you? Okay. <laughs> uh, my Patricia wants to know why. Why what? Why what? Why what? I got your package yesterday. Yes. Three boxes came. Uh-huh. One box for Patricia. Yeah. One box for me. Yeah. One box for the Hughes family. Uh-huh. So why is the Hughes family box bigger than Patricia's and Walden's box? Well, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I, I wasn't, <laughs> didn't know there was a <laughs> size requirement. I'm gonna, it's I'm a family. Gonna, I'm gonna, there are more people <laughs> in the family. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Walton, I think under the circumstances, oh, excuse me. Larry, you gave me your stuff. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think under the circumstances, Walton, you get dibs in the family box as well. Well, I, I just... Unless you're not part of the family. <laughs> I, I, I think Dan was protecting my interests. He was making sure I could really get more than one bourbon ball this year rather than... You know, like I got last year. So thank you, Daniel, for now. Now, if I remember right, if I remember correctly, I sent you a gift, and am I right in remembering that you didn't get any of your gift? I got one. I got one. Got one. You got one. Well, I thought I told you when I heard the story that I said, well, next time I will put a gift in for the Hughes family. Oh, you did. As camouflage, as a diversion, uh, so you can take your gift off and unwrap it in a corner, and they can they can open their gift separately. See, that's why I thought it was really generous of you to give them a bigger box. <laughs> well, it was overly generous. <laughs> thank you, Dan. Anyway, for do thank uh, you for doing it. Thank you, John from Maryland. He he sent two shoes to here, four bags. Uh-huh. I, uh huh. I've already started on my two zero one, and Patricia's is safe. We put together Patricia's box already. She got, <laughs> she got Dan box and John two zero and that's being shipped. Oh boy. Yeah. And I'm missing mail and I'm missing packages and everything. Uh oh. I hope. Oh dear. We better. Yeah. We we there's a big one coming for you, so we better make sure Santa knows where it's at. Mm. Santa uh, was here, supposed to deliver one yesterday, and it didn't even come today. Walden, mm. you need you still... to send that with a return receipt request. Uh, that way, have them sign for the package. Well, this one, this one, I think came with a tracking number. Okay, uh, this it's a uh... and a GPS thing on its on its foot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, this one. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I'm not going to give any clues, but I'm really excited what Patricia's getting. <laughs> Patricia, is but your no P.O. Clue. box still good? Is my mailbox still good? Sure. Is your P.O. box still good? No. My what it, box? Your P.O. box is not good anymore? No. Oh, the P.O. box? Oh, yeah. gosh, I haven't had a post office box in 15 years. I know, but I haven't mailed anything to you. Last, I saw an address that was a P.O. box. Oh, no, cross that, cross okay. that one out. And okay. I will, I'll send you my address. Okay. Okay. What are you going to send me? I don't know. Okay. Not sure yet. I'll find something. I don't know to say either. <laughs> yeah, that's a surprise. <laughs> so 
So we, yeah, we're we're even. You don't know, and I don't know. <laughs> but I'll not. I'll get rid of your PO box because I had it for yeah, some reason. We, I, we know from mail years ago. Okay, Patricia got something from me earlier. Well, when I had a PO box, I wasn't even on the radio with you guys. You weren't. Uh-uh. No. Gosh, I wonder how I got that. That's interesting. Huh? Maybe Walden gave it to me. Well, maybe I'm thinking you're thinking of Patricia's apartment number came with the. Oh, that could be. That's what probably is. In the, that could be. Yeah, that's probably what, where it came from. Even they Maybe. Didn't, even they, but that's, didn't, they didn't do it. That's no longer valid anyway. Yeah, I know. I know. No. I'm on the loose. Oh, goodness gracious. Good. I'm going to take I my car out. On. I, 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 hmm? I haven't been listening tonight. I just, I was coming from a friend. I took a friend a gift and. Oh, I spent two hours talking with her, and then I just thought, oh, it's time I better call. And it's like, I just came and called right and got right through, so. Mm. Hooray, hooray, here you are. I'm right here. Have you been on the radio much this week? Sure have. We own the, yeah. We own the station. It belongs to Patricia now. It, oh, really? Yeah, pretty much. The pink neck would take it over, the blue. It, it Jim's going to have to change the color on the, of the uh, of the website from blue to pink. You know. It, no. Or is it purple? It could be. Could be. But uh, now Patricia's been uh, almost doing every night, and she this is her second second dip today and two tomorrow. And we're off and running. For I'm the just all over the place. Yeah. What What time will you be on tomorrow? Starting at four o'clock Eastern. Yeah. And we'll go four hours, and then we'll take a dinner break for a few hours and come back at 10.30. So, then Christmas night, I am not sure yet. Bill, I think, under the weather, and Mike is gone for three weeks. So, either some of us will be on at 10.30, or we'll all gather at midnight and hum Christmas songs, you know, or something. Sounds like fun. Yeah. We'll have... And are you... We'll have are you going to be on... This next week, like you have been? Yes. Yeah, and we haven't figured out New Maybe Year's. longer. Yeah, we haven't figured out New Year's schedule yet, so I imagine we'll do a semester for New Year's, too, next weekend. We'll see. We'll see if everybody's worn out by next, by, by <laughs> Thursday. <laughs> and so, but the answer is yeah. We're off, we're off and running. So, has he been overworking you, Patricia? Walden, can I tell him yes? Yes. Yes, he has. <laughs> no, of course not. And he always says, now, if you can, now, don't don't push it. If you don't want to, that's okay. So he's he's a very fine employer. I'm a diplomat. I'm a born diplomat. <laughs> you mean you don't, <clears throat> excuse me, you don't mean it when you say it's okay to say no? I do, I do mean that. I do mean that, but, you know. Yeah, he shows it in the amount of money he pays her. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Labor, he, he sends a lot of love. What I'm yeah. trying to do is get as many podcasts out of Patricia for this year that we all go up to, to the website. You know, that's what I'm uh, you know, that's what So then you can replay them. Larry's been replaying all the awful shows. Yeah. You can replay like, from yeah. the podcast. Yeah. Just like the Pickersons, he says he does, but he doesn't mean it. Yeah, you say it, but you don't, you, you won't do it, John. Do it now. <laughs> Oh, uh, the the one that cracked me oh. up 
so much on the Bickersons. And if anybody wants Bickersons, I have them as well. We have to set up a Dropbox, and I'll get them to you. But um, what's her face? Blanche brought a puppy home, and it was in the in the drawer with uh, Blanche and what's John. His name? John. John. Thank you. John. Yes, in in the shirt drawer in his bureau. She put the puppy in there, and of course he was crazy nutsy, and he's allergic to dogs. On top of it, he said, "Blanche, that dog has to go back. It has to go back." And she said, "Okay, John, take it back." He said, "I'll take it back in the morning on my way to work." And she says, "No, John, you say it, but you won't do it. Do it now. It's three o'clock in the morning. She she wants him to bring the puppy back to the to the pound." But that was a classic show. Gosh, they played off each other so well. They did. They were the best. It was. It was. I still love the one where he's walking underneath the car and he got the cat <laughs> under the <laughs> and she's looking for him and he, he's petting it. Basically, his, his, you know, the way he cleans off the oil off his hand. He, yeah, he was wiping his hands on the cat. I mean, what a great visual that is. Yeah, yeah. I don't so. think, to be honest with you, Don and Meek and Francis Hanford played so well. They, just not quite the same window to a. Oh no, no, it it was just not. It just wasn't, and it was that one of the things I was going to ask you, Larry, when you were talking before about. Um, I guess we were talking about Red Rose, the story Red Rose, and you enjoyed it so much more when Hal Perry recited it as opposed to Willard Waterman. And my question to you was if. Hal Perry had not read it at all and you had nothing to compare it to. How much influence did Hal Perry have on your decision that Willard Waterman wasn't? Never mind. That's a stupid question. Okay. I'm, I'm not I'm not phrasing it properly. And I'll do it with the big... I, I think I would have liked Willard Waterman, but since I yeah. heard Will Hal Perry do heard, it first, yeah. Yeah. I like Hal Perry's delivery and his inflections. And that's why I like him. And I don't happen to think that they sounded remarkably alike. Yeah. They sounded similar, but most people think they sounded alike. And I, and I don't. There are differences between their voices that make them yes. very easily and, different. But when I first started listening to The Great Gildersleeve, I listened to some shows by each of them. Uh -huh. And I didn't know until easily a year later that I was listening to two different actors. Oh. They wow. were that close in my ears. Yeah. And now, of course, I can tell them apart because I've listened to enough of them, and I know that there are two. But for that length of time, I thought it was the same actor sure. over and over. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, and I was going to relate that to the Bickersons. When we heard the best, nothing could hold a candle to it. No, not even close. Not There are some close. that are very good, but none of them have the kind of delivery yeah. that... Both no. of them did. No, and Blanche, nobody could be a, as much of a, 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 a battle axe in some respects that she was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, some were too nice. You know, they tried to yes. be acerbic based on what the script gave them, but they were they were vocally too nice. Yeah, they just didn't have the zip. That they didn't whine. Mm-hmm. No, they even had. They even repeated some of the scripts with what's their faces. What's his face? Who, 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 who was the guy? Lou, Lou, Lou Parker. Lou Parker. Lou Parker. Thank you. Yeah. He Thank was. You. He, you know, he didn't have that kind of 
acerbic no. sound to his voice no. that Don Amici had. I, There's no way. Yeah, I didn't think he was a particularly fine actor either. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas Don Amici was. And our friend yeah. Marshall Hunt didn't play it the same way Francis did. It was no, no Marshall way. was too nice. Yeah. No way. Mm-mm. Well, Lou Parker was uh, Marlo Thomas's father on That Girl, right? I don't know. I don't know. know. Okay. All right. I I believe he was. Okay. If you say so, then then that's what it is. I didn't realize that he did television. I'm trying to imagine his voice, and I don't remember it now. It's been too long ago. It's not memorable. We'll have to uh, ask Siri. I I know know a lot of people love the two. I guess Francis and Don went back in the 60s. And made two record albums, and they still were so popular, even though they it, they were gone for a while before they went back in the studios and recorded two more. And those, for some people, mm-hmm. those were just their favorite. And uh, huh. I don't think I've heard those. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. record, record album albums were pretty popular in the sixties. Yeah, I you know remember Metacom for years. <laughs> had a Bickerson tape, and I think it was taken from the record album. It was for a while, and then they got permission from, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Wymers. Who created the Bickersons? Weimers. Uh, no, that's, that's Vic and Sade. Oh, um. What, which name are you looking for, Larry? The, creator, the writer. I can't think of his name. The creator of the Bickerson. Phil Rapp. Oh, um. Rapp. Phil Rapp. Phil Rapp. Yeah. Phil Rapp. Oh, he was brilliant. He but was. I don't remember the other albums. I'll have to go look for them. Yeah, there were two of them, I guess. Um, that I guess they were very popular in the 60s. That, you know, so they went back to Don and Francis to do it. And it might Good choice. Been, it, might have been the, it might have been a lot of the same script if they used the radio days. Could have been, and they were just as good, even though their voices had matured, mm-hmm. but they were just as good. They had the timing and the delivery, <clears throat> and I think the timing was one of the most important features. Oh, yeah. They never skipped a beat on the timing, ever. And that was unrehearsed. Yep. Dan, are you traveling? What, what are you doing? Are you home now, or what, what's going on? I I just left my friends and and I uh, I uh, just uh, got home. I uh, took a trip last Sunday and saw a friend of yours, and he sends you uh, greetings and well wishes. And you're gonna have to help me with the fellow's last name, Uh, Frank, and he's the fellow who. uh, Oh, Frank Ferrante, Frank Ferrante of the Groucho Barch. Exactly. Yeah, I yeah. went up to see the last uh, show in Cincinnati on uh, last Sunday, and I told him I said that, that I was friends with Walden and Patricia, and, you know, from the uh, uh, work here. And he said, "Oh yes, yes. How are they doing?" And I said, "They're doing well." And he said, "Well, you told him I said hi." Frank is a t- was, talented, talented guy. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's been doing Groucho for so many years. I. I attended him, show him, go to Mesa about 20 years ago, and I reminded him, he said, I was not that good. <laughs> he gotten so good. <laughs> 33 years now. 
Wow. What's Did 73 you? years? He's been doing it for 33 years, this one man show. Oh, oh. Wow. Um, so did you thought it was Groucho? What, what was your impression, Dan? Oh, I thought it was wonderful. I mean, you know, uh, the theater they, that this was staged in was really small. I mean, it was a, a beautiful uh, playhouse, but just very small. And, um, I mean, I was in the second row from the stage, and I probably was within... 20 feet of him when he was on stage. Mm. So, he had good seats. Yeah, exactly. About, and, uh, about 15 years ago in Kansas City, uh, Frank and Eddie Kill as Jack Bain and Groucho did the odd couple at a dinner theater. Really? And I've been interested to see how they would have done Oscar and. Um, Felix? Yeah. Felix as yeah. Groucho and Jack, and how that would have been paid. Those two guys would have played that off. It would have been interesting. Which yes. which played whom? I don't know. I imagine <laughs> I imagine we could figure it out through YouTube or something, but I don't. Know. I would I would figure that. Gosh, I don't know. I was I was going to put Eddie Carroll as Oscar, but mm-hmm. that wouldn't work. And yet I can't. What? Find him as a Felix. Hmm. And I like The Odd Couple. That was one of my favorite shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Tony Randall and Jack Klugman did a good And show. Jack Klugman, yes. Yes. Jack you Klugman know, it tried. Just, it, it was just redone like for three seasons on CBS with uh, Matthew Perry in the uh, Oscar role. Huh. Was it any good? What now? Was it any good? It's been canceled, but... (laughs) (laughs) That that says a lot. But, you know, again, we're we're back down to the Bickersons, that when you hear and see the best, Mm -hmm. anything else is going to take a back seat, no matter how good it is. It's just not going to to fly. It's almost like when they, they put Steve Martin, tried to put him in the place of Peter Sellers, as Inspector Clouseau in the in the Pink Panther movies, and Martin was yeah. a bomb, absolutely bombed. Yeah. Well, you know, they just did the uh, style movie with uh, Michael Caine and um, all heavens, um, what's his name? Uh, Alan Arkin, mm-hmm. Alan Arkin, and um, and Morgan Freeman. They just mm-hmm. did that movie uh, like this year. I don't think it did too well at the box office but yeah. of course that was uh that was uh done with uh, uh George Burns and all oh 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 uh, the sunshine boys yeah um sunshine boys yeah Walter Matthau yes Walter yeah mm-hmm. Walter by the way that and reminds also, me they were also going to have a Jack in that movie too but he died before it was done Right. That reminds me also that Jack Benny is going to be being he's he's going to be shown again. Uh, the Jack Benny show is going to be on Antenna TV beginning January second. Mm. So, for those who haven't seen Jack Benny in a while in his normal regular TV show, it'll start up again in January on Antenna TV. So, if you go to the website, you'll be able to see the times, etc. 
they were they were going they were showing it like at five o'clock in the morning Eastern time. Showing they, they, what? Jack Benny. I mean, it, Jack Benny has been on Antenna TV in the past. It would be like at five in the morning Eastern time. Yeah, so. yeah this is supposed to be so better. Decent. Hope they put it on at a good time. Hmm. And then not really have any control over it once it goes out to the public. And, you know, they sort of get pretty much happy to go with the same 100 shows. Mm-hmm. You know. Can, can they uh, restore those and uh, then, like, put a new introduction on those shows and then copyright them? I know at one point Leslie Nielsen had uh, introduced, like, the three studios on one of the cable channels. And they, I think, had restored the uh, the films. Yeah, but I think they have to be able to, they have to go back and be able to to do a certain amount or percentage before they can actually recopyright it. And if all they're doing is just restoring it, they're not really markedly adding to the product. So I, I don't think in this case it would work. I see. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of happened in Pamper with the. Um Simon Schuster put out the Sherlock Holmes yeah. radio shows. The show itself was in public domain. That's why the the backers try to create the little vignette, the front and back, to have that part right. of the copyrighted. Right. Yeah. So Dan, you offer And they had more. Mm-hmm. They had more that never got out because that eventually it just you know it would sold for a while, and then eventually they decided no, it's it's not worth it because based on all the money they had to put into it to get it out. So there are shows that, that never did, unfortunately, even get out with yeah. the, that they have rea- that they had copies of. Was it more of the Tom Cogway stuff, or, you know? Yeah, pretty much. I think they had they might have had a few. I'll have to ask. Yeah. But most of it was they, they had a lot of more Conway Bruce that they didn't get out, which actually is kind of good because I wasn't a big Conway Bruce fan anyway. It was okay, but it just wasn't as good as um, Rathbone and Bruce. I think, Patricia, I think when you were making Conway, you thought it was a lot more biting than, yeah. than the Basil Rathbone portrayal. Hmm, yes. Uh, it, I don't know, it, it, didn't, it didn't match, again, the, the timing and the tone, and he was the one who told Watson to shut up, and that right. was the end of it right. for me. Nobody tells Watson to shut up. But again, as you pointed out, it was probably the writing, not necessarily the acting. Right. But um, mm-hmm. Conway was, was, oh, I don't know. He's kind of a sour person and presented a sour person, edgy and not overtly friendly, whereas no. Sherlock by Basil Rathbone had all of those qualities. He could be edgy and acerbic and at the same time be pleasant and outgoing. Uh, he, he really had 
so many sides of Sherlock that he was able to deliver to his audiences, whereas Conway, I don't think, did. Okay, here's my trivia for the panel. What th- oh, boy, trivia time. Yeah, what three detective shows that Tom Conway started in the radio? Sherlock three Holmes. detective shows. Oh, wait. Oh. Uh, he, he, uh, the Saint? Yes. Sherlock Holmes. Yes. And... Mm. I don't know. And I know I read it. You've heard them, too. Yeah, I'm, I probably, probably have. What did he do? Frank Race. I forgot about Frank Race. Yeah. I, I, I forgot thought it was about Paul Frank Duvall. Race. No, wait a minute. It's Paul Duvall and Tom right. Collins. Tom, Tom Collins. Okay, I thought it's Tom not Ray. Conway. Conway. Oh, okay. oh, oh. <laughs> of okay. course, yes, okay, with Tom Collins. Mm-hmm. And Tom Collins was one of the... Um, was Nikki. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Larry. I think he was one on um, Shandu the Magician. Right. Yeah, he was, he was Chandu. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was also Nikki on One Man's Family. But, yo, he was the, he was the best Chandu. Oh, he was good at that. Oh, he was yeah. awesome. He was really good. And he did both the 15 and 30 minute shows for a while. And then I went to New York, and that's just stupid. Have you heard the New York version of Chandu? I have not. I have not. Oh my gosh. I don't think so. We should, uh, we should, we should bring one in and play it. And play it side we'll do by a, side. maybe play a comparison. Yeah, do a comparison. Yeah. yeah. It is just not nearly the same production. Is it good? No. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, that but might be I'll, an interesting concept one night. It's to play the same series of different versions. And they see okay. that, you know, that might be an interesting... After the first of the year, let's mm-hmm. think about it and think about our choices as to which ones we want to use. Right. And then we'll do a whole evening. That'd be fun. It would be. It would be. So, Dan, you're on a couple more weeks off. What, what's the routine for you? I'm off for a couple more weeks. Uh, this was one of my rare Saturdays to be off. I only get about three Saturdays off a year. Not. I didn't know that. You didn't know that? You are so abused. I did not know that. No, I really didn't. <laughs> yes, yes. So I, I had a very good day. It was nice to uh, sleep. Past my normal wake-up time of oh, mm. five and six in the morning. That's uh, your normal wake-up time, or that's your sleep-in time? That's my normal wake-up time. That's terrible. That, I think it's illegal. Is it because of the old days on the farm? No, no, no. I have to be at work very early. I have to be at work at 7.30. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, don't, don't you think it's old habits? You know, because you lived on the farm in the early parts of your life, so you... You just you are able to make it work. Well, I don't know. I, you know, I hate being late for work. So it's like get up, get moving, wake up, you know, jump in the car, head to work. So you know, Patricia's hard to get her awake at seven in the morning sometimes. So, I know it. You know, well, she's Poor up me. half the night with you. That's true. That's right. That's true. 
which is out gallivanting. Um, excuse me? I can't even gal, never mind gallivant. Gee whiz. I'm going to go driving on Monday. Sunday. Tomorrow. I'm going to go out driving. Yeah. I brought my car. Do you still have your car? Yeah. I have it out here in the parking lot. Yeah. Weren't you going to sell it? I was. Yeah. And um, the two people who wanted to take a look at it and drive it decided one wanted to do kayaking and canoeing instead. And I don't know about the second one. My nephew had it. So he said, okay, what do I do with it? I said, bring it over here. So it's out in my parking lot. Oh. Yeah. So we'll go for a little drive tomorrow. Well, maybe you'll start an Uber business, Patricia. <laughs> Listen, poor Uber with the P. Oh, my gosh. The drivers, certainly they are in the minuscule minority who are assaulting women yeah. and doing really awful things. I don't think I want to be associated with Uber, if that's okay. You want to get- Unless you tell me they make a lot of money. How about Lyft? Huh? Lyft. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. No, no, no. So we need to start our own new car agency. Okay. Whatever well, you say, Walden. You, 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 you can't use, well, yes, you can use Uber because there's a uh, phone uh, app that you can now use if you don't have an iPhone. Mm-hmm. But have you ever tried to use Uber or Lyft? Not yet. No? No. But I'd be happy to use it if I need to. You know, no big deal. But, uh, because, uh, you know, if I figure if we're, if we're out for dinner, if I need to get home, then I would do it. No big yeah. deal. Yeah. Just call Patricia. She'll zoom right over and pick you up. I'll Take zip right home. over, yes. <laughs> with my suitcase and my... My very precious belongings, because I would be moving in with Walton if, if I did that kind of a trip. I would. Well, you, my family would love to have you. You know that. Yeah, I want to be. I want to be put up in the garage where the refrigerator with the ice cream is. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what? The uh, we made a big we made we made a big decision tonight. We moved the three containers of peppermint ice cream into the house. So. From, from there. So we have two pumpkin pies out there. Ooh. My brother, <laughs> we went to Costco and bought these, you know, they have these gigantic pumpkin pies. So mm-hmm. one of them was supposed to go with my brother's potluck at work. Somebody went in competition and bought a sheet cake. So nobody ate any, any of the Costco pumpkin pies. So they, that, oh my. that was brought home. So my my brother taking that back out to work. He, I think he, he manager wants to slice. So you have you have three containers of pumpkin ice cream. Uh, peppermint ice cream. Peppermint. Peppermint ice cream, yeah. which is seasonal. How big are the containers? Are they They're gallons? So, no, I mean it's gotten to the point. Back in Robin, it's just it's like about three dishes and you're done. What? Wow. Yeah, it, the largest containers are just little small thing, and pints. Yeah, really. I would say less, like a quarter of a pint. Really? No, not a quarter of a pint. No, 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 no. That's a that's a half a cup. Yeah. It's really not. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's just it's not that. Three three servings you're done pretty much. You know. Mm. Uh, are those three normal servings or Walden servings? Those are normal. Uh. Actually, small. <laughs> 
but wow. so, but um, everything, anything in the ice cream business has really gotten to really small containers, and you know you used to when you used to go to Baskin Robbins, you used to order a half a gallon. You don't you don't see those things types of containers. I I still get half gallons at Albertsons. I get Tillamook. And I got Rocky Road last time, and I've seen a lot of half gallons there. Yeah, but it's mm-hmm. not—it's not back in Robin, which is the really wonderful. Well, no, it's not. You know. but I mean, I see them there. Not at Baskin Robbins, but no, no. But anyway, so each or the small little container was seven dollars and ninety-nine cents. <laughs> yeah. So. Each the, one. Each one. Oh. So the question. I would learn. I would learn to eat supermarket brand. Yep. <laughs> Well, I would too. Mom and dad, you know, they don't ask for very much and that's what they want. So, you know, I got to make mom and dad happy. So the question is. That's well, a great excuse. I'm listening to it right now. So the, <laughs> so the question is, well, last Christmas when the honey baked ham gets baked, if not, we'll have to make another run to back in the robin. No, I don't okay. want to next year for Christmas. <laughs> Oh, you're going to send him a basket of in the mail, right? In a leak-proof box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, yeah. Kim, one year for, for Kim's birthday, I gave her Baskin Robin coupons. And she said, I told her these are the best peppermint ice cream. It's the bottom is she loves peppermint ice cream, but, you know, back, it's so seasonal. They don't always have it available first part of the right. December. So. Right. So she's. You better get it while it's there. Yeah, she got to. So she's always like Bluebell. I think I think it's the brand that she likes. Uh huh. And so that's what she gets her peppermint ice cream. So, what can I say? Wow. I wonder if the containers here are larger than what you get on the West Coast. Maybe so. I, I, I think so because I've looked. I mean, I don't buy a lot of ice cream. Mm-hmm. I do know they they've. They've reduced the sizes of the ice cream, you know, from like, you know, the, you know, just they're smaller than what they used to be. You have to yes. reach there. You're not getting, you know, what you think you're getting. You know, they've reduced, you know, the uh, size, you know, enough to. Yeah, but have you, know, you have you noticed they always the got these, they always got these sale, you know, the small container. But you buy two of them, it's only seven dollars. I do know also, like at the Albertsons, it, it'll say a half gallon, but if you put the half, the, the supposed half gallon side by side with Tillamook, which is a half gallon, mm-hmm. Tillamook's is larger yeah. and there's more to it. And I asked, why is that? Because I can tell the difference. And they said, well, we're not, we're, they're, they're employees of Albertsons. And so they, but they told me anyway, they said they, they advertise it as, a half gallon, but it's not really. And this is almost every single brand they had, including dryers, except for Tillamook. So that's why I get Tillamook. Because uh-huh. if I want a half gallon, I want a half gallon. Yeah. Exactly. I, I don't think that's right for them to sell something that's a half gallon when it's not a half gallon. Yeah. It is illegal. Is Are they perhaps labeling it with fewer ounces? They might be. I don't know. I believe they are. They probably are. Yeah. I think legally they have to put on there how many ounces is in that container. But, you know, I think they they fudge by saying, well, it's a half gallon when it's really not. With the coffee cans, they started backing off and put 15 ounces in it. And people were still saying, I'll pick up a pound of coffee. Now they're down to 11 ounces. 
Uh, that's what I saw the last time I, I bought some. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they do that with... Uh, I think those are the name brand coffees, but if you're yeah. making a generic or you know a lesser-known brand, I think you may still get a full... Uh, a full amount. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, oh, if you get a well. bag of candy like Starbucks, those are pretty full. Those are pretty accurate, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. And stuff like that there. Yeah, but I have about four or five different kinds of coffee at home just in case I get tired of one, I go to the other. And we trade off back and forth, too. So. See, what they're doing is they're thinking that people are happy with the lower price. And don't notice the contents. We're, we may be blind, but we're not stupid. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Exactly. There you so. go. I mean, I, who, oh. the blind person doesn't check to see how many ounces are in the coffee can. They don't ask right. questions. I do. Right. Of course. And you can tell you are more sensitive to the weight as you prove right. with the ice cream. Yeah. So you could surely tell without any coaching that you were not getting a full pound of coffee. Uh, and, and the ice cream, I noticed it, and I said, wait a minute, this feels smaller, is it? Yeah. And the person didn't know, and they looked, and they said, oh, yeah. So I actually knew more than they did, and they worked there. That's not surprising. Well, that's true. That's true. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So, well, guys, I'm past my witching hour. All right. We'll talk to you tomorrow, Patricia. And I will be there. I will be here at 6. Is that correct? You bet. Yep. Yes. I will be here at 6. Okay. Dan, good night. Merry Christmas. We'll talk to you again. I'm positive. Good night, Larry. Good night, Walden. And good night, everybody out there. Good night. All right. There she goes. There she goes. How are the Gaston's doing? Pretty well? Oh, pretty well. We're doing pretty well. They've been sick for almost what? Ten days? No. Uh, oh no no no! Mon- Monday. It started Sunday night, but it was in full force on Monday. Sort of like a hurricane. The flu. Uh, that might have been part of it, but it was a cough, a racking, nasty, hard cough that that uh, lasted for several seconds each time. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and uh, you know, my sister-in-law thought it might have been pneumonia because she's got about three or four friends who have pneumonia and i don't know whether it was or not but it's starting to get better today i had no energy uh i would take i would quit work at four and of course since i work from home i would drop into bed sleep for two hours wake up eat dinner and by nine o'clock i was done i would take nyquil and wake up and uh, at six the next morning wow so yeah and this lasted three or four t- nights doing this and then it got better finally. I didn't have much voice the last couple of nights, uh, even up until last night. And this morning it started that way. And it gradually got better during the day. So I think it's going to be better. And we're starting to see the the edge of the cold. And um, I'm trying to stay inside and not go out at all so that I can be with my family for Christmas. So, affected by so, the uh, fires out there? Are you getting any smoke? No, 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 no. We had smoke when it blew this way one Tuesday, but we're far enough away so that we don't smell any smoke. Uh, I don't know that they even see smoke because it's Ventura, Santa Barbara. That's a huge, huge fire, but it's 
it's still 60, 70, 80 miles from here. Is it? Uh-huh. Maybe more, more. Yeah. We, we don't so, have many fires here. Uh, there was a fire down in southeast Kentucky, and, and we did have smoke here one day, but, you know, that's many, probably 150 miles away. You could wow. See it. You could see it and smell it in the air. But, yeah. Um, they said they said that uh, Thomas Fire is now the largest fire in uh, California history. I saw that yesterday, and I mean that's just mm-hmm. huge. Yes. Because it was for the longest time like fifth and sixth, and it went to four. Uh, a couple days ago, it went to two, and I saw yesterday that it was number one now. And I thought they were about 40% containment, but I'm not sure now. Uh, yes, yes. But, uh, I mean, I just can't fathom a fire that big to to destroy all, the, destroy all that land, or destroy all those uh, trees out there. Do you see, do they show pictures of it on TV still? Do what now? Do they show pictures of it on TV still? They did, they did, they, they you know, just... You know, what they show on TV, you know, could be anywhere. You know, I, I'm not that familiar with California um, geography, you know. Uh, but uh, I guess it's more up to the north of Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Ventura, Santa Barbara area, Santa Barbara counties. So it's a goodly long distance from us. Uh-huh. So we're certainly not in any danger. Nor are people in Los Angeles, uh, San Fernando Valley. They're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of, it's not that it's not near homes, but it's also a lot of wooded area, uh, a lot of mountain area. Uh-huh. So so it's still a terrible fire, but it could have been a lot worse. Sure, yes. So that's the, I think that's the only one now that, that's still burning here. Uh-huh, I believe I, so. I think the other yeah. has been contained or, or put out. Yeah. Yeah. No. But I have lots of friends uh, who are in the way of that fire, so who knows what's happening with regard to evacuations. But I have a lot of friends who are friends of mine who, who lost homes uh, in the fire in Northern California. Quite a few. Won't that just raise your insurance rates out there once uh, it's all paid off? Probably. Yeah, yeah. I have um, friends down here who have friends who live up in the Northern California area, and they live in a stretch of neighborhood. And two weeks before that fire in the Santa Rosa area, Uh uh, they they didn't know what was going to happen because the fire hadn't started. But they said, you know, this is fire season. So they went up and they cut all the brush back from around their house and watered down the roofs. Two weeks later, that fire hit. And now their houses, those two houses, are the only houses left in that whole neighborhood. Wow. Every other house is gone. Probably just went up like, like tinder. Yeah, it's just amazing how fast these fires start. And how many homes get get lost? It's just, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Well, from what I've seen on TV, it's just you know these fires have such uh, 
sparks and you know just wherever these sparks go you know it can start more fire uh, yeah know, it can skip and they showed one home that was just per- perfectly fine and just it's the way the wind blew wow amber can fly two to ten miles away and what did you say Walden? some of the embers oh can fly between <clears throat> two to ten miles away from the fire to start another fire when that one is blowing like that that's why it's just so dangerous. Oh, the wind was really blowing here really hard the last couple of days. And I, I, we're not even anywhere near the fire, but here it was blowing hard. So I can only imagine what it was like up there. Now, when will your rainy season set in? Will that be in, in like, January? That used to be our normal cycle. Yeah. And um, with all the fire, good grief, all the hillsides... In January, March, uh, January, February, March, yeah, we're going to probably see a lot of problems. A lot of mudslides. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, just keep your eye out. There'll be a lot more TV pictures. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. We, we don't, we don't, well, we have droughts, but even during a drought, we don't. I don't think we get nearly as dry as what California gets, you know, in a normal year. Well, yeah. Remember, California, California is a desert that just so happened to be near the ocean. Right. Sure. If, and, if, so, if you go out into the valley, the first time I was in the valley, uh, not the first time, but one of the first times, was years ago, and we went to lunch with Jack Crucian. Uh-huh. And and we went to lunch before a spurred back radio luncheon or meeting. Yeah. And we came out of the restaurant and I said, wow, Jack, this, this smells like desert. And he said, well, of course he said it was, and it still is really, huh? you know, you take all these houses away, it's desert. And, uh, so when the wind blows like that, it's usually extremely dry and there's Santa Ana's and, huh? Stuff can catch on fire just like that. Oh, oh. it's a it's a hot, drying wind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just reflecting. Wasn't uh, isn't it a Corby workshop or one of those shows from the early fifties that talked about some of the famous fires, uh, like in Malibu and things like that? That you know, is it like mm-hmm. Ralph Edwards lost his house or some other people? Um. Okay, documentary about fires in California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Just like a flood, you can't control it. You know, no. I mean, there, sometimes you've just got to get out of the way of it you know, and let it happen. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm going to let you two uh, go and uh, right, have a good Christmas. and I'll. I'll try to tune in tomorrow night. Terrific. Thank you. All right. Well, Merry Christmas. You too, Dan. Merry Christmas. Sure. Thank you much. Bye-bye. Okay. 714-545-2071 is our number. You know, it's only 930 in the West Coast, but it seems like we've been on for days. We have. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I know. Trisha's gone back to her room. Finally, I promise I would play the Grinch for her. We do have the boy call off the Grinch, one of her favorites. 
So she has her uh, laptop computer. Yep. Yep. Okay. What's her internet speed? Is it pretty good? Don't know. Oh. Okay. Um, so she worked on that project for Martin. Anyway, I think we still got some files left over that Jim requested that John put in my box. And <coughs> we do, yeah. Did you go into your box and look? I have a look. So that's, um, uh, I mean, I think yeah, there's several in there. Once we decide to play, I think I'll go to that. Uh, that way we'll okay. make sure she gets set up. So, um, show from 57 uh, talking about building toys or something that Jim talked it's about. It's Light of the World. Right. Light of the World. So we might play that first. And mm -hmm. then I think we have is it Eisenhower's address is in there or something like yeah, that? Yeah. In 1953 and then there's an address you, uh, Truman made uh, a lighting of the Christmas tree right before uh, right before Dimension and X, Green Hills of Earth. So you have a choice. Are all of them about 15 minutes long? You, you know, Larry? Well, no, Dimension X is 30. Uh, I, I think the others are about 15. Okay. No light of the world is 15. Thirty more seconds, then we'll go play something. Now we're going nice and stretch. Seven one four five four five two zero oh, seven one. Everybody got stuff going on, so we'll we'll hold on the fort. Probably play some more radio shows during the day, so that, and then we'll figure out how we all regather for Christmas night and uh, be with everybody. So. Why don't I get ready to go to the drive or the drop box? Uh, all right. And we'll play the show that Jim talked about. So we get up, we'll do that. JAWS Professional Run Dialog. Type the name of Escape Desktop. Folder View List View D. Download D. Drop by Enter. Drop by Mom. Gas Enter. Gas. Christmas in with Bing. Christmas at the Radio 59. Chris. Dimension X. Eisenhower. Chris. Life on the World. Monitor 611. Life on the World Deck. Minus 191. Unloading Jaw. Can't. OK. Enter. Gasman and Hughes. Items View Mode. Life and the World. Your editor, Frank Blair. Good evening. Tonight, Christmas toys and Aggressor Sally. In our continuing coverage of the theme of Americans Abroad, we turn tonight to our soldiers in Berlin as they get a lesson in counter-propaganda. During World War II, the enemy made great strides in psychological warfare employing the dulcet tones of such ill-remembered figures as Axis Sally and Tokyo Rose. The siren songs of these persuasive ladies were designed to spread disunity and dissatisfaction 
in the hearts and minds of our fighting men. To apply a counteractive against such a maneuver in any future war, our men now are being provided with an indoctrination which would make them impervious to such assaults. In Berlin, John Rich is present in a regimental warfare class. We're here now at McNair Barracks in Berlin, and Lieutenant Elma Jones of Stockton, California, is about to give the class instruction in psychological warfare or the introduction to psychological warfare. The class, before coming here, received a mock psychological warfare leaflet. They're in the classroom now, they're seated, and the room has been darkened. Lieutenant uh, Jones is just about to speak. Three days ago, aggressor columns attacked our forces. Simultaneously, artillery began falling on Allied troop concentrations. You have moved to defensive positions, which you now occupy. Strong attacks have been made against the Allied lines and heavy fighting causing numerous casualties. Some of the men sitting in this room have been killed and others wounded. As you sit in your holes, a chilling rain is falling steadily, accompanied by a continuous shelling. Suddenly, the shelling stops. For a few minutes, deathly silence falls over the battlefield, broken only by the hiss of rain. You steel yourself with a blast of a bugle and another attack. Instead, from an unseen speaker in front of you, or from a radio if you're near one, soft music floats through the night air, and you hear... Aggressor Sally, a mythical and possibly potential distraction to our soldiers in any future conflict. In just 60 seconds, the reaction of the men of this class in counter-propaganda, but first, hear this. This is Dinah Shore. There's an important sale going on all over America this holiday season. It's the annual Christmas seal sale in the fight against our country's number one infectious killer, tuberculosis. There's no price tag, of course, on human life. To save a life at any price is cheap enough. And that's why Christmas seals are one of the best bargains we can buy. Progress in the fight against tuberculosis since the first Christmas seal was sold. 
has meant a saving of more than seven million lives. Everyone can be proud of having a part in this life-saving effort. Won't you join me and millions of other Americans in buying and using Christmas seals to make all of us safer from TB? Answer your Christmas seal letter today. Thank you. Back to the regimental warfare class in Berlin, where John Rich seeks the reaction of men of the 1st Battalion to Aggressor Sally. Uh, Sergeant, uh, what's your name in hometown? Sergeant Bell, uh, Swainsboro, Georgia. Sergeant, uh, what was your reaction while you were listening to the taped broadcast? I've heard it before in career, and uh, it sounded just like before. Did they have any effect on the boys? Uh, no, sir. At that time, I don't think it did because most people was receiving mail regularly. We was getting plenty of chow. Morale was pretty high. But uh, in a tough situation, uh, don't you think this could uh, could have a bad effect on the morale of the troops? Yes, sir, I do. Uh, here's another uh, sergeant, uh, Sergeant Smith. Where are you from, sergeant? Richmond, Kentucky. And uh, have you ever heard uh, anything like this in in combat before? Yes, uh, in Korea there was quite a lot of stuff going on like that, uh, enemy propaganda, which in some cases, or in most cases, I don't think was too effective against the American soldiers for this reason. I believe that the American soldier is uh, well enough trained and has enough uh, get up and go about him to uh, overcome most of this propaganda that they put out. Mm -hmm. A couple of more soldiers here from the class. Uh, what was the reaction of you? Uh, two fellows when you're sitting here in the dark listening to that broadcast. Did you, what were you thinking about? I was glad that I was in the theater, not somewhere else. <laughs> I think I agree with you, sir. Uh, what, sort of a, what sort of a gal did you, uh, did you think was behind that voice while you were sitting there? What did you imagine? Something similar to your girls back home. It made you think. From Americans abroad to Phoenix, Arizona, and a subject close to the hearts of all at this happy season, Christmas toys, in just a moment on Life in the World. Right now, the World Health Organization of the United Nations is working to conquer dozens of dread diseases, many of them found right here in the United States. If this United Nations work continues at its present pace, the coming generations may never know many of the diseases we now fear most. The United Nations works in many other ways, too. For example, the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization teaches people in underdeveloped areas how to produce the essentials of life for themselves. They learn to stand on their own two feet, to need less help from outside. Most important of all, this United Nations work is our best hope for peace, because well-fed, well-clothed people do not nurture the discontent and hatreds that can lead to war. The U.N. works toward permanent peace. For the booklet, The U.N. in Action, write to U.S. Committee for the U.N., Box 1957, Washington 13, D.C. Even our men in far-off Berlin think of toys at this happy season of the year. In Phoenix, Arizona, our Life in the World correspondent, John Harrington, recalls a happy vignette 
while looking at a display of today's bright toys and mechanical marvels. There's a long gap between the 1920s and the 1957s, but Santa Claus has made that transition, even if we have been left behind in the snow dust of his sleigh and fast-stepping reindeer. We're standing here on the sidewalk in front of Diamonds and Phoenix, and here we're enjoying the dubious pleasure of being on the outside looking in. We're looking through the window, the huge plate glass window that reveals all of the joys, the O's and the Ah's of Kris Kringle's Toyland and Santa Claus himself as he leads all of the animals of the forest in this song of Christmas time. You can hear them in the background, and even old St. Nick, as his deep-throated ho-ho-ho causes his tummy to dance like that bowl of jelly. But we've said there's been many a Christmas stocking since the 1920s. When we climbed up on Santa's knee back in those days, we bashfully asked for some candy and nuts and orange and apple, and would it be possible, please, that he might bring us a train or a gun? Well, the gun was the kind that you cocked over your knee and the spring shot out a piece of cork. The train was the kind that ran around on a three-foot track after it had been wound up. Well, within two days after Christmas, both of the springs on the train and the gun were broken, and that was the end of the presents from Santa until the following year. But in this year of 1957, what progress has been made at the North Pole? Instead of a gun with a broken spring, I can see a rocket cannon, a cap-firing, air-cooled machine gun, and a completely automatic ACAC gun as well. And did we think in the terms of outer space? Well, they are now. I can see space platforms, satellite launchers, rockets shot into outer space and tracked by radar, and even hats for the Sputnik watchers. No, in our day, we would have been happy with a few tin soldiers. Now, Santa's Toyland has gone modern with a battery, a battery-powered, hard-charging, actually fighting knight of the forest. And a Navy boat with a diver which submerges and breathes real bubbles. And back in our day, we played at communications with a piece of string tied between two tin cans. But no, not that now. The modern toy is a set of electronic teletype machines which send out and receive the latest kitty messages. And what about the scientist of the future? What does St. Nick plan for him? Well, how about a motor-powered, high-flying lightning bug? Yes, while we stand here looking through the window, watching the chipmunks and the tortoise playing their instruments and listening to the chorus of singing bunny rabbits, we realize now that Santa Claus is ready with a 1957 pack of modern miracles. While for us, he will leave a stocking full of memories. Yes, that's life and the world. For a final word, I'll be back in just a moment. Once upon a time in a very large city, there lived a clarinet. One morning, the clarinet woke up feeling very, very low. He was just not himself. The clarinet was very concerned about his irregularity because that night he was making his debut at the concert hall. Suddenly, the clarinet heard a knock at the door. It was his friend, Phil the Flute. When Phil heard of his friend's trouble, he gave him very sound advice. You really should take X-Lax. You really should take X-Lax. And that's exactly what the clarinet did. 
That night at the concert, the clarinet played like never before because he felt just great. The moral of the story is simply this. When you need a laxative, you can depend on X-Lax. You can depend on X-Lax. This is Frank Blair concluding this 104th edition of Life in the World. Tonight we listen to the sounds of Christmas and the joy which a toy can bring to the heart of the young. And from overseas we heard an exercise in counter-propaganda, a grim and comforting reminder that in these troubled times there is an alertness to the unseen and unspoken problems which beset our world and challenge our security. Good night. Life in the World is developed through the worldwide facilities of Life Magazine and NBC News. Harry Belafonte, Carl Sandberg, and Kay Thompson and Eloise join Walter O'Keefe on Nightline tonight on most of these NBC stations. Larry's gone to bed. Kurt just called, just reminding that Jim French passed away of Imagination Theater fame this Wednesday. And so, uh, it's not totally surprising. Jim was 89. Of course, Harry Niles and Sherlock Holmes are some of his properties. But so, the Lord help those family members who have lost family this week. Or any time recently, Lord, it's like throughout the year. Look after the men and women who serve in the military. Look after the families who miss them at this time of the year. Help those who are trying to make career decisions to see what's the best thing for them. Help those who are making medical decisions, Lord, what, what to have treatment, what kind of treatment. It's so hard to know sometimes when you have mixed indications. Look after the people of America, Lord, who are trying to figure out what to do next. Watch our leaders as they try to make the right decision for our country. Look after the needy, the poor, and the hungry. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Alright, Patricia, one of her favorite things that she loves is the Grinch. So we're going to play that. Patricia, and then she's requested a Fermi and Molly show, so we'll do that for Patricia. All right, so stand by. Jaws Professional One, Life on the Windows J Desktop Folder View List View Drop by M My Documents Enter. Documents. I S. Saturday. Saturday. Enter. Saturday. Art Carney. Happy. Leo is on. Leo and the Grinch that stole Christmas with Boris Karloff. Unloading job. Can't. Okay. Enter. Saturday. One, two, two, three, one, and four.
close asthma, cancel button, the open button, the enter attachments. List new Christmas. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Please don't ask why, no one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve, hating the hooves. Staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown at the wall lighted windows below in their town, for he knew every who down in Whoville beneath was busy now, hanging a holly who wreath. Trim up the tree with Christmas stuff, when jingle balls and hoo fluff. Trim up the town with Bright and early, 
Christian Ashboy from the game Molly from December 20th, 1949. So let's play that next. Jaws Professional Saturday 12231 Document C Carnation C Christmas Shows Folders Enter Item F Fibber McGee and Enter Fibber 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 McGee and Molly 12154 Fibber McGee and Molly 121641 Fibber McGee and Molly 121746 Fibber McGee and Molly 121845 Fibber McGee and Molly 12184 Fibber McGee and Molly 121845 Fibber McGee and Molly 121944 Fibber McGee and Molly 1220491 Fibber McGee and Molly 1220492 Fibber McGee and Molly 122143 Fibber McGee and Molly 12 Unloading Jock Can't OK Enter Fibber McGee and Molly Folder I The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly <laughs> Makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's new water-repellent glow coat present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Dick Legrand, Cliff Arquette, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra, including Ken Darby's own musical setting for The Night Before Christmas. Johnson's new glow coat is now water-repellent. That's the biggest development in floor care in the past 15 years. At last, there's a self-polishing floor wax that does not show ugly streaks or dull drab spots when you wipe up spilled things. Water, spilled ice cubes or drinks, tracked in mud or snow, wipe right off that hard glow coat surface. And you don't wipe off the wax when you wipe up the water. Johnson's glow coat stays on, stays bright, even after repeated damp moppings. In fact, water-repellent glow coat now lasts up to four times longer. No need for frequent repolishing. More long-lasting floor protection for your money. It's the most economical self-polishing floor wax you can buy. Tomorrow, shine up your floors for the holidays. Protect them from the wear and tear they're bound to get. Save yourself work. Save yourself money. Get Johnson's new water-repellent glow coat in the regular glow coat package. No change at all in the container. Ah, but what a wonderful difference inside. There has always been a lot of rivalry in Wistful Vista over whose house is the most beautifully decorated for Christmas. Mr. McGee of number 79 has never placed in the first 25. Until maybe this year. Because here in the hardware store, laying in a supply of outdoor lighting equipment, we find that once-a-year exterior decorator and his wife, Fibber McGee and Molly. That'd be all, Mr. McGee. reason I ask is, on account I think you've got everything we had in the store. Oh, <laughs> well, let me see. Check the list over with me, bud. 900 foot of wire. Wire. Three pairs of pliers. Better make that five pairs. I keep losing them in the shrubbery. Why don't you get a dozen pairs, McGee? We could give the extra ones as Christmas presents with a little card that says we'd like to have done something bigger for you, but we feel the pinch this year. <laughs> no, no, let's be practical, Molly. 300 assorted light bulbs. 300 light bulbs. 
that's it. Sure, 300 will be enough, dearie? That'll hardly light up the country as far as Kansas City. No, <laughs> oh, no kidding, Molly. You gotta allow for some of them burning out. I've had experience with these things. I'll bet you two bucks, kiddo, that the first person that comes to the door says, you got the prettiest decorated house on the whole block. Well, make it six dollars. I want that one across the board. Okay. <laughs> six bucks it is. Okay, bud, we got the bulbs, the wire, five rolls of friction tape, four bags of nails, two cartons of holly, and five dozen assorted sockets. Sockets. Check? Well, uh, we'd prefer cash. <laughs> I mean, you check with me on the list? Oh, oh, yes. A check, Mr. McGee, yes. Yeah. Check. Hey, wait a minute. I'll need a couple of stepladders. Good stout stepladders. Well, I'll have to go out and get those, Mr. McGee. We keep the stepladders in the back room on account of shoplifters. I'll send the boy in with them. Tell her. McGee, for what you're spending on this project, why you could hire well, three... Hello there, McGee. Hello, missus. Hello, Ollie. Hi, Ollie. Hey, don't tell me you're buying all this electric stuff. What are you going to do, McGee? Build a television station? He's going to decorate the front of our house for Christmas, Ole. Yeah. He seems to have it confused a little with the Pentagon building. Ah, wait till you see it, Ole. It's going to be beautiful. You decorate your house this year? Oh, yeah, sure, but not so fancy as you, McGee. Oh? We used hung up some holly and a little piece of miserable toe. <laughs> You mean mistletoe, Ollie. To kiss all my wife's relatives under it, Mrs., it's miserable, too. Got all your Christmas shopping done, Ollie? Well, not quite, McGee. Mm -hmm. For my littlest kid, Sven, I got to get electric train. Uh -oh. You know, that you drop in some smoke pills and that makes it use like a real shoe-shoe. Good <laughs> Must be very amusing. Oh, I wasn't laughing at the train, Mrs., huh? I was laughing because last year my wife's brother, Thor, he swallowed three of those smoke pills by mistake for headache. My gosh, Ollie, what happened? Well, he yelled out toot toot and then he ran down the basement, filled his pockets with soft coal, shugs upstairs to the living room and smoke coming out both ears. <laughs> the last we hear of him, we get called from the roundhouse. Uncle Thor is there asking somebody to escape his border. That's <laughs> I've forgotten everything now. Let's see. Wire, bulbs, pliers, tape, wires, stepladders, nails. If you overlook anything, they can send it out in two or three truckloads. Well, here comes the lad with the ladders now, so let's uh, Pardon me, sir, but I got a couple of flatters here. Are these yours? <laughs> How's that, bud? Oh, the ladders. Oh, the stepladders. Yeah, yeah, just set them down there. Oh, whew, glad to. Yes, you must be a little tired by now. I imagine this has been a rough week for you clerks. Oh, I don't mind the work so much, but I don't feel so good today. I got up twirly. You got up twirly? <laughs> yes, ma'am, I didn't get enough sleep getting up swirly. <laughs> Yeah, I'll bet you don't, bud. Like Ben Franklin used to say, twirly to bed and swirly to rise makes a man dizzy. <laughs> yeah, makes me tired, too. I like to sleep late, but this morning I had to get a potato clock. <laughs> really? I've never seen a potato clock. Do they make them out of the whole potato or just the peel? Oh, no. no. I, I guess you didn't understand me, sir. Oh? I mean, I got up early this morning. Eight o'clock. 
Oh, per- oh, eight bells. Well, well, help me get this stuff out the car, bud, and we'll be on. All right, sir, right away. And any time you need anything else, just call up here and ask for Herbert Tapple. Well, thank you, Mr. Tapple. We'll... Oh, no, 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 not Tapple, ma'am. Apple. Herbert Tapple. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, bud, I'll, I'll show you where the car sparked. <laughs> You can carry the junk out. <laughs> Come on, Molly, let's go. <laughs> now, you see, Molly, all I got to do is run this wire around the house six or seven times. That's where I was, around the back with it. <laughs> Run around the house six or seven times and then hook up the lights to it, see? Run the wire six or seven times around the house? Well, why? Why? To build up the current. You've got to understand electricity to know these things. <laughs> you see, that, that acts as an armature. Oh? Steps up the power. I see. You see, electricity is simply the result of friction. It was invented by two guys from Poland, Naprosky and Lovatny. Oh? Naprosky always says, yes, electricity is friction, and Lovatny always says, no, it ain't. And they became known to science as the positive pole and the negative pole. <laughs> so when the positive impulse connected to a negative armature gets a resistance, it sets up a kilowatt. Hence the electrode. You see? No. Well, I'll break it down for you, Tootsie, except here comes Latrivia. Hi, Latrivia. Hello, Your Honor. Oh, hello, Molly. Hello, McGee. Hey, that's quite a job you've undertaken there. You betcha. I got a six-buck bet with Molly that when I get done with this job, the first person that sees it will say, you got the prettiest decorated house in the whole block. Well, you have enough ungrammatical friends to get pretty good odds on it. You care to stay and help, Mr. Mayor? Otherwise, I doubt if he'll be finished by Labor Day. Oh, yeah? I've forgotten more about this stuff than most people ever knew. I wish I could remember some of it. <laughs> but I suppose a politician like you is too busy for such low-type labor, eh, Latrell? Yes, except that I prefer to consider myself a statesman rather than a politician. Mr. Mayor, what is the difference between a statesman and a politician? A statesman is always out to get his country the best deal he can. A politician is always out to get his. <laughs> That's very good, Latrivia. You hear that, Molly? Latrivia just made a very neat epigraph. Yes, I heard it. You sure you can't stay and see this uh, demonstration of electrical inefficiency, Mr. Mayor? No, no, I'm afraid not, Molly. I'm on my way over to Westchester. I'm making a speech in favor of John Netcher for dog catcher. Netcher for dog catcher at Westchester, eh? <laughs> oh, that's cute. Who's he running against, Mr. Mayor? A man named Fletcher, Molly. <laughs> Both Netcher and Catcher running for dog Fletcher of Chestwester? <laughs> no, no, no. No, Netcher and Fletcher are running for Dog Chester Westcatcher. <laughs> I mean, Dog Netcher of Fletchwester. Oh, now you're a little mixed up, Mr. Mayor. You told us that Mr. Chester and Mr. Catcher were running for Netchcatcher of Fletchnatcher. <laughs> or was it Dog Fetcher of Netwetcher? You betcha. <laughs> no, no, uh, let me take this slowly. Please. Yes, you're better. Fletcher and Netcher are running for dog catcher of Nestwetchter. <laughs> I mean, of Wetsnatchter. Natchditchter. Look, 
I said oh, next now, week. Now, hold it, Mr. Mayor. Hold it. <laughs> we better get this straightened out before you try to make a speech in favor of anybody. Yeah. Now, then, you're going to Westchester, right? That is correct. Two guys are running for dog Fletcher, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> They're running for dog catcher. <laughs> In Fletchwestern. No, no, no. In West Chester. Oh. <laughs> Can't you get this straight? It's what? perfectly simple. Fletcher and Wetcher are running for Dog Chester and Nest Chester. Running <laughs> for Chester and Dog Nester. Oh, blasters! <laughs> Two minutes ago, I knew who was running for Dog Snatcher and Wet Snatcher. <laughs> now I'm sorry I ever met you. <laughs> Merry Christmas and good day! <laughs> Billy Mills in the orchestra with a Christmas medley. Oh, I'm okay. I'm coming down in a minute. My goodness. The string of colored lights certainly looks pretty, dear. You like them, kiddo? Lovely. When are you going to put them up? <laughs> I'm going to start hanging the sockets any minute now. You steady the ladder while I hop down off it, will you? I've got it. Careful now. I'm Careful okay. of yourself now. I'm... <laughs> What'd I jump on? Well, what would you jump on, dearie? Just a box of light bulbs, that's all. Oh. It's the only thing you could have jumped on unless you just landed on the bare ground, of course. Well, so what? I got plenty. Anyhow, uh, look what I'm doing. I got nails drove clean across the front of the house. See, in the shape of letters? 
Letters to whom? No, no, I mean spelling letters, Molly. All I do now is hang these lights on the nails, turn them on, and presto, the front of our house spells out Merry Christmas in six delicious colors. <laughs> Tricky? That's a wonderful idea, dearie. Yeah, the only thing is I made my letters too big and I started over too far. Oh. Well, is that bad? No, only I couldn't get the whole word Christmas on the front here. The, the T-M-U-S will be around the corner. <laughs> Right, dearie. Christmas is just around the corner anyway. <laughs> but now, look, you better hurry because it's getting well, late. Well, hello, Molly. Hi, pal. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Hi, Junior. Grab a light bulb. You can help us put in some of these sockets here. Oh, I'd love to, pal, but I've got lighting problems of my own at home this evening. Going to trim a Christmas tree. That's no problem, Mr. Wilcox, if you have the lights. Well, I checked over the lights last night, Molly. Had four strings left from last year, but three of them wouldn't work. Did you finally find one that would work, Junior? Say, I'm glad you mentioned woodwork, pal. What? <laughs> of course, you sort of dragged it in by the heels there, pal. But as long as you brought up the subject of woodwork, let me tell you about the greatest discovery in years for protecting your wood floors and linoleum. It's Johnson's new water-repellent glow coat. Oh, of all the... Look, Junior... Oh, now, McGee, it's Christmas week. Let's humor him. Oh, well... Uh, what did you say that uh, that new discovery is, Mr. Wilcox? Tell us about it. Well, if you insist... Don't crowd your luck. Okay. Okay, it's the new Johnson self-polishing water-repellent glow coat. The one self-polishing floor wax that does not show cloudy, milky-looking spots when you wipe up dirt and spill things or mop them up with a damp mop. Yeah, we know, Junior, we know. Hush, Whoa. hush. Yes, sir. That gleaming wax protection that Glow Coat gives your linoleum stays on and stays bright, even after repeated damp moppings. That means the new water-repellent glow coat will last up to four times longer than before. Isn't that interesting? Why does it last longer, Mr. Wilcox? Oh, Wilcox? don't encourage him, Molly. Don't encourage him. You know why it lasts longer? Because it's water-repellent. I know, Because but... when you mop up the floor, you don't mop the wax off. That's why housewives are flocking to buy the stuff. Not stuff, pal. Huh? We never refer to the new Johnson self-polishing water-repellent glow coat as... The stuff. They buy it because they don't have to put it on their floor. What? As often. Oh. <laughs> so it saves them time and dough because it lasts so much longer. And the new water repellent... Hey, 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 look, Waxy. <laughs> yes, pal? Look, I'd love to stay here and hear more about this wonderful new product, but I've got to run. Where, Mr. Wilcox? In my right sock, you oh. see. Got to go home and change. Have a nice Christmas, kid. Uh, thank you. Well, done it. I wish I had a flashlight to see these lights with. It's darker here than I thought. You have, dearie. Huh? Flashlight? I had a hunch you might take a little longer than you thought, so what did I do? I brought your old brakeman's lantern out, the oh. one with the green shade. Hello there, Dottie. Hello, Johnny. Well, Mr. Oldtimer, and hello there, Bessie. Hello, you all. <laughs> Excuse me while I keep working, Oldtimer. Hold the light here, Molly. Where you been? Christmas shopping? Nope, been to the post office, Johnny. Bessie got a letter. Yes, I did. It's a letter from my sister, Mrs. McGee. <laughs> She's away at finishing school. Well, at finishing school, your sister? I'll read it to you. It says, Buckley Finishing School. Dear Bessie, I'm finished. <laughs> Love, Essie. <laughs> nice letter. Bessie and Essie, eh? Interesting names. Yes. Bessie and Essie was twins at one time, Johnny. 
Just for a while, of course. Oh, how can you be twins just for a while? How long were you twins, Bessie? Thirty minutes. Hmm. Then my brother Jesse was born and made us triplets. <laughs> oh, Mama had such a great sense of humor. She knew all the answers. Speaking oh, yeah. <laughs> of answers, kids, me and Bessie had us quite a time this morning. Went to one of them radio quiz shows. Didn't we, Bessie? <laughs> oh, gracious, yes. The doctor of ceremony said, is there a dancer among those present? So I did a dance. Jitterbug, Bessie? No, I got up and did... I'll tell this, Bessie, I'll tell it. I started it. O-O-T-U-R-O. <laughs> Bessie's got a habit of hogging all the gab, kids. All she wants for Christmas is her two front teeth kicked in. <laughs> Don't you, baby? Oh, you stop teasing me, O.T. No. Well, sir, Bessie got up at this quiz show and she done a hula hula dance, but the feller made her stop. Yeah? He says, no cooching from the audience, please. <laughs> she made a motion before the house and they voted her down, did they? <laughs> Uh, did you win anything down there? <laughs> we sure did, Johnny. Yeah? Me and Bessie won us a cocker spaniel and a year's supply of poodle noodles. <laughs> a new flea-repellent dog biscuit. Well, now, isn't that nice? Where is the dog now? Is he with you? No, we took him over to my house and fed him, Mrs. McGee. Yep. Took one bite of them poodle noodles and then a bite of Bessie's leg. <laughs> in the living room and he bit me right on the settee. Uh, never mind. Never mind. Anyways, he barked, bit Bessie and bolted. And we ain't seen him since. My gosh. He runs off and leaves you kids with a year's supply of dog biscuits, eh? What are you going to do with them? What are we going to do? Put jelly on them, Johnny. Come on, Bessie. That's how you are. Merry Christmas. Well, so long, Bessie. <laughs> You're nearly finished, McGee. But it's so dark I can hardly see you up on that ladder. You are on the ladder, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm up here. Hold the brakeman's lantern over here, will you? I'm almost through and ah. There's the last bulb in. Well, thank goodness. Now get down off that ladder before you now, break. Just your... a second, kiddo. I'll be right down. As soon as I turn the juice on by twisting these two little wires together, I got them right here and What happened? You came down. Also, our lights are out. Also, so are all the lights in the neighborhood except this little brakeman's lantern. And I'm going to hang it up here on the steps so we can see our way through this mess. Are you hurt, Daddy? No, but let's get in the house before the neighbors start beeping. My, my. Come on in the living room, dearie. Oh, gone it here. We planned the prettiest decorations in the whole neighborhood. And what do we wind up with? Well, a green lantern shining on the front porch. The only light in the whole block and the only... 
Now, if that's one of our nosy neighbors snooping around here, trying to find out who blew out his lights, I'll tell him to come in. Hi, mister. Oh, Amy. <laughs> Hi, Amy. Now, look, if your old man, or if your father sent you over here to beef about his lights being out... Oh, no, mister, no. I just came to tell you, you've got the prettiest decorated house in the whole block. Yeah, but I... What did you say? Who? You. When? Just now. About what? About we got the prettiest decorated house in the whole block. I know it. It's just peachy, the simplicity of it. When I saw that green lantern shining on the faces of all those carolers out there. Carolers? What carolers, Steenie? I didn't hear any carolers. Sure you didn't, I bet you. They, they haven't started yet. Hey, Kenny and Ratty and Buddy and Johnny, come on in, kids. Oh. Oh, over there, Diane. Ready, gentlemen? And a one, and a two, and a three. Face. <laughs> and a little 
Coming up next on NBC. WMAQ and WMAQ-FM, NBC in Chicago. December 20th, 1949. Beverly McGee and Molly, requested by Patricia. Oh, let's go back and fill out some of Jim's requests, so go back to Dropbox. JAWS Professional Fibber McGee and Molly folder, Windows M, Desk D, Downloads D, Dropbox Short, Enter, Dropbox Item, Ma, Gasma, Enter, Gasma, Christmas, Christmas at the Radio 5, Christmas Sin with Bing, Dimension X5, Eisenhower, Chris, Life and the World, Monitor 611224, Frank McGee from 935 to 953, Christmas Eve. 
Life of the world. Eisenhower, Chris Enter. From Washington, the National Broadcasting Company brings you transcribed President Eisenhower's Christmas message to the nation, delivered at the annual Christmas tree lighting ceremony at the White House this afternoon. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. My fellow Americans, here in Washington, in your homes across the nation and abroad, and in our country's service around the world. This evening's ceremony here at the White House is one of many thousands in America's traditional celebration of the birth, almost 2,000 years ago, of the Prince of Peace. For us, this Christmas is truly a season of goodwill and our first peaceful one since 1949. Our national and individual blessings are manifold. Our hopes are bright, even though the world still stands divided in two antagonistic parts. More precisely than in any other way, prayer places freedom and communism in opposition, one to the other. The communist can find no reserve of strength in prayer because his doctrine of materialism and statism denies the dignity of man and consequently the existence of God. But in America, George Washington long ago rejected exclusive dependence upon mere materialistic values. In the bitter and critical winter at Valley Forge, when the cause of liberty was so near defeat, his recourse was sincere and earnest prayer. From it, he received new hope and new strength of purpose, out of which grew the freedom in which we celebrate this Christmas season. As religious faith is the foundation of free government, so is prayer an indispensable part of that faith. Tonight, Richly endowed in the good things of the earth, in the fellowship of our neighbors and the love of our families, would it not be fitting for each of us to speak in prayer to the Father of all men and women on this earth, of whatever nation and of every race and creed, to ask that he help us and teach us and strengthen us and receive our thanks? Should we not pray that he help us, help us to remember that the founders of this country our country came first to these shores in search of freedom, freedom of man to walk in dignity, to live without fear, beyond the yoke of tyranny, ever to progress. Help us to cherish freedom for each of us and for all nations. And might we not pray that he teach us? Teach us to shun the counsel of defeat and of despair and of self-pride and of self-deceit. Teach us and teach our leaders to seek to understand the problems and the needs of all our people. Teach us how those problems may reach solution in wisdom and how best those needs may be met. But teach us also that where there may be special problems, there can be no special rights. And though there may be special needs, there can be no special privileges. Teach us to require of all those who seek to lead us these things integrity of purpose, the upright mind, selfless sacrifice, and the courage of the just. Teach us trust and hope and self-dependence. Teach us the security of faith. And may we pray that he strengthen us, strengthen us in understanding ourselves and others, in our homes, in our country, and in our world. Strengthen our concern for brotherhood. Strengthen our conviction that whatever we as Americans would bring to pass in the world, 
must first come to pass in the heart of America. Strengthen our efforts to forge abroad those links of friendship, which must one day encircle the world if its people are to survive and live in peace. Lastly, should we not pray that he receive our thanks? For certainly we are grateful for all the good we find about us, for the opportunity given to us to use our strength and our faith to meet the problems of this hour. And on this Christmas Eve, all hearts in America are filled with special thanks to God that the blood of those we love no longer spills on battlefields abroad. May he receive the thanks of each of us for this, his greatest bounty, and our supplication that peace on earth may live with us always. You have just heard President Eisenhower's Christmas message to the nation transcribed from Washington, D.C. This is the NBC Radio Network. Let's go to I, uh, the Truman's Christmas Eve speech next, or Christmas speech. And we won't play the X-Minus One show attached to that. So, stand by. Life on the World Monitor 6. Life on Eisen, Dimension at Christmas, Dimension Enter. We present now a special transcribed Christmas message from the President of the United States to the American people. My fellow countrymen, all over our country and in many other parts of the world, men, women, and children are preparing to celebrate the birthday of Christ. Never before in our lives has a Christmas seemed so important. I'm not thinking of turkey dinners and stacks of gifts. I mean the quiet, reverent celebration of faith, hope, and love born in a manger in Bethlehem. Across all the continents of this world, peace-loving people today feel apprehension and loneliness and fear. Many have forgotten the humble surroundings of the nativity and how from a straw-littered stable shone a light which for nearly 20 centuries has given men strength, comfort, and peace, peace of mind. At this Christmas time, we should renew our faith in God we celebrate the hour in which God came to man. It is fitting that we should turn to him. Many of us are fortunate enough to celebrate Christmas at our own fireside. But there are many others who are away from their homes and loved ones on this day. Thousands of our boys are on the cold and dreary battlefield of Korea. But all of us at home, at war, wherever we may be, are within reach of God's love and power. We can all pray. All of us should pray. We should ask the fulfillment of God's will. We should ask for courage, for wisdom, for the quietness of soul which comes alone to them who place their lives in his hands. We should pray for a peace which is based on righteousness. The nation already is in the midst of a crusade of prayer. On the last Sunday of the old year, there will be special services devoted to a revival of faith in God. I call upon all of you to enlist in this common cause. I call upon you no matter what your spiritual allegiance may be. We're all joined in the fight against the tyranny of communism. Communism is godless. Democracy is the foundation of faith. Faith in oneself. 
faith in one's neighbors, faith in God. Democracy's most powerful weapon is not a gun, a tank, or a bomb. It is faith, faith in the brotherhood and dignity of man under God. Let us pray at this Christmas time for the wisdom, the humility, and the courage to carry on in this faith. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard President Truman's Christmas message to the American people. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. A woman in San Francisco paused for a moment on a busy street corner to try to recall the most memorable Christmas present she ever had. Oh, I remember a little dolly in a box, and I could never play with it. Or I was always dishes to wash and something, and that was the only time I remember that every time under my bed I had the little dolly in a box, and when I went to sleep I'd look in and open that lid and look at that little dolly and cover it up and put it under the bed. A little dolly which made a big impression on a little girl. Springs, the men of the North American Defense Command are committed to the job of guarding America against any kind of surprise attack, and it's their job to know about any foreign objects flying around in the sky. Now, would you consider Santa Claus a foreign object? We're not sure, but we would like another report right now on the tracking of Santa Claus across the skies. I'm Colonel R.L. Gould, the director of the Combat Operations Center of the North American Air Defense Command in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Starting at noon today, when we first picked up an odd object in the vicinity of the North Pole, we have been tracking it all the way through Canada and the United States up to the present time. 
At first, our scrambling interceptors from Greenland reported that the power unit had deer horns on it and that the pilot was overweight. He had no weapons on board. All he had were brightly wrapped packages. When he was asked to identify himself and come out from behind the scarf he was wearing, he only smiled in a friendly fashion, showed the scarf was his long whiskers, and continued on southward. Initially, he was slow-moving and sluggish, indicating he was heavily laden. But as the day has worn on, the load has lightened and his speed has increased. We are beginning to get reports now that he seems to be everywhere at once. This is not due to the fact that our radar is playing tricks on us. It's just that he has to land at every house before the sun comes up. And through the years, we guess Santa has learned the secret of being everywhere at once. You know what I'd like for Christmas? That secret. present that you received as a child, do you remember the most vividly? An answer from a man in San Francisco. Oh, golly, that's, uh, that's difficult to say. I do remember a, a present I got one year when I was about uh, five years old. It was a uh, sort of mechanical horse. It was called a cow's colt, and I enjoyed it very much, and I liked it, but one day I got rather ambitious and uh, took the uh, the screws off and took the thing apart and threw them over the fence and that was the last I had of that toy but uh, uh, I regretted it but it was too late then I recall that one and we're sure there will be many other small boys who take apart their Christmas toys this year and live to regret it you're on the monitor beacon
H.V. Kaltenborn made his first radio broadcast in 1921, which certainly makes him the grand old man of broadcasting. In his long, long lifetime, he's lived through many incredible and exciting experiences. But the experiences we want to talk with him about tonight are not those. We want to ask him about Christmas. And with the help of Bill Gordon at WPTV Palm Beach, we have Mr. Kaltenborn on the open line from Florida. Mr. Kaltenborn, what was your Christmas like when you were a boy in Milwaukee? Well, that brings up a lot of memories. In the first place, uh, we had none of the things we have today. There was no radio, there was no television, there were no phonographs even. In other words, we had to produce our own entertainment. And uh, my Christmas uh, days in Milwaukee were practically on the German basis because Milwaukee was a German town mm -hmm. and we were a German family. And so uh, our Christmas was very much like the German Christmas in Germany itself. We always had a Christmas tree with candles. I was appointed the fireman who had to have a bucket with water. And in all the years that uh, I celebrated Christmas with uh, a tree lit by candles, we never had an accident. Well, a tree with real candles must have been beautiful. What, what sort of presents did you receive? The presents were altogether different from what they are today. We always got uh, things uh, that we could do something with. In those days, we used to get games that we would play that would take a long time to play. For example, uh, uh, we had such games as fish pond, where there were fish sticking out of uh, a board and you had a pole with a little hook, and you tried to hook the fish, and it took a lot of time and a lot of patience. Uh, Tiddlywinks was a great game in those days for children. Presents were modest. I don't uh, remember getting anything that was more important than a new sled or uh, a new pair of skates. And of course, uh, the winters in Milwaukee were rather severe, so we were able to do a good deal of skating and a good deal of sleigh riding. And that was uh, our great winter joy. A perfect place, it sounds, for children to grow up. What kind of music did you have in your home at Christmas? Of the Christmas carols that we sing are German in origin. And we always uh, sang those. In fact, that was part of the Christmas Day ceremony. We would be called by a little bell that would be rung by a father or mother downstairs and we children had been waiting upstairs and would come rushing down. This was always Christmas Eve. And uh, then we were supposed to line up and sing two or three songs before we were permitted to go to our particular table where our particular presents were uh, stored up. And what was your most memorable present? I remember one present that appealed to me uh, very much. I got it, I think, when I was four years old. And that was a savings bank for pennies. Pennies had real value in those days. And uh, this was a little iron bank with a monkey who removed his cap and bowed. And at the same time, in his left hand, he had a plate. And you'd put a penny on the plate. And as he bowed forward with his cap, 
the penny would drop into the bank and be mine forevermore. <laughs> so I would, of course, always go around to everybody and give them a chance to put in a penny, which they did. I wonder whether children today would appreciate a penny bank. They'd probably much rather have a dime bank or a quarter bank. But at any rate, any other thoughts about Christmas you'd like to share with us, Mr. Keltonborn? Christmas was more simple. I think it was more genuinely devoted to uh, the Christmas spirit than perhaps it is today where the good deal of commercialism has managed to come into it. And may I, in closing, wish Frank McGee and his associates up there at NBC, uh, with whom I've worked for so many years, I'd like to wish them all a very Merry Christmas. And thank you, Mr. Caltonborn. We appreciate your Christmas greetings. And we hope there in Florida, though you won't have a white Christmas, that you will have a very merry one. Thank you again, sir. A pause now for a message from one of our sponsors. And now, noted Washington columnist Drew Pearson with an important message. I have reported danger signals from various parts of the country of Cole's contagion and increasing absenteeism from work and school. In my business, I can't afford colds or absenteeism. No matter what happens, I have to meet a deadline every day. Now, infectious germs in your mouth and throat increase a cold's discomfort, can make the cold drag on. But gargling with Listerine antiseptic does a terrific job of killing these germs by millions. In fact, in 12-year tests, thousands of people who gargle with Listerine antiseptic twice daily had fewer, milder colds. So ladies and gentlemen on that record, and as a Listerine user, remember, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. To guard against cold's contagion, take a tip from one who knows and gargle at least twice daily with Listerine antiseptic. The other day with Christmas near, one of my associates here in Monitor heard his seven-year-old son ask his mother, why won't daddy be home on Christmas Eve like other daddies? Well, the mother sought an answer which would satisfy a seven-year-old boy, and so did the father, who overheard the conversation, and he tried to explain. Son, he said, you see that Christmas tree with all the lights shining, making the room bright for Christmas? Well, those lights will still be shining on Christmas Eve. I won't be here then, but the lights will still work, won't they? And the youngster said, yes, but the father continued, those lights will shine Christmas Eve because hundreds of men and women will be working at power plants and substations to make sure the electricity that makes them glow gets to our house. Then on Christmas morning, there'll be milk at the door. A man will have to get that milk ready, and he'll be up most of the night. Chances are that he's a daddy, too. And the father continued, When I finish my work at Monitor on Christmas Eve, and you're sound asleep, I hope, I'll come home on a train. Well, that train needs an engineer and a fireman, and a conductor and a brakeman, and all the switchmen and inspectors who have to be there to see there are no accidents. Hundreds of pilots will be flying planes with their co-pilots, stewardesses, engineers, and navigators. Soldiers will continue to guard our frontiers. The police go on patrolling in cities and towns and in the country. Doctors and nurses will be working because people do get sick at Christmas just like other days, and the firemen will be on alert as usual. And someone has to prepare food for all those people who will be working. Well, like the people who get the milk ready and the railroad engineers and the firemen, the policemen, the soldiers, the doctors, and all the others, we are used to it. Here's an example. It's almost uh, 10 o'clock New York time, Christmas Eve. Let's hear from some of the dozens of NBC newsmen stationed around the globe. This is Frank Bergholzer in Moscow, the Soviet Union, wishing everyone out there a wonderful Christmas. In Moscow, it's about 10 minutes to 6 in the morning. This is Lee Hall, NBC News, Brazil, wishing you a Merry Christmas from Rio de Janeiro. It's about 9 o'clock here on Christmas Eve, and as we say it here, Feliz Natal.
This is Cecil Brown in Tokyo. Merry Christmas to all, and we certainly can say that. For here in Japan, it is 10 minutes to 11 on Christmas morning. This is John Rich, NBC News, Paris. A Merry Christmas from the Champs-Élysées, where it's already almost 4 o'clock on Christmas morning. This is Kenneth Bernstein, NBC News, Buenos Aires, where it's midsummer and Christmas is only a quarter of an hour away. Feliz Navidad. Merry Christmas. Thank you, and Merry Christmas to all of you. You know, you never would have heard all this if it were not for the engineers, the producers, the announcers and writers, and the newsmen here at Monitor, and along the line in our NBC radio affiliates. So a special Merry Christmas to everyone who has to work on Christmas Eve. And a very special Merry Christmas to all of you whose daddies and mommies are out working now, uh, helping to keep things going. most beautiful moment of all in the homes of America tonight. Jesus, tender shepherd, hear me. Bless my little child tonight. Further the darkness be now near me. Keep me safe till morning light. Amen. And so the time comes for us to say goodnight to you on this Christmas Eve. We leave you with the warmest good wishes we hope that tonight you are receiving the most wonderful presents of all, love and friendship, presents which come wrapped in many forms, a Christmas card from a long-lost friend, the expression on your children's faces when they met you at the door tonight, the kiss your wife gave you, the piney, familiar smell of the Christmas tree, or the homemade cookies the neighbor brought over, the whispers of the children as they debate how to wrap your Christmas present. Tonight, on this most holy of nights, we wish for you a happy, joyful Christmas. This is Monitor. Moved to Christmas Eve night, I believe, 1953. While they somebody twisted down and sampled the different shows that were heard that night here on Yesterday USA. Stand by. Life on the Wizen of Dimension Christmas Sing with Big Christmas at the Radio 59. Enter. From the Radio City Music Hall, showplace of the nation in New York, on this Christmas Eve, the National Broadcasting Company presents organist Dick Liebert in a special program of Christmas music. At this wondrous holy time in communities around our land, the stars have a special twinkle, one of hope and lasting peace. It is Christmas. 
It's the time when all the fond and precious things that have been stored away are taken out to enjoy again. The carols are familiar, but sweeter to our ears for having been put away to rest. From stage right at the Radio City Music Hall, here is Dick Liebert at the console of the great organ, Good King Wenceslaus. holiday crowds stream down glittering Fifth Avenue. At Rockefeller Plaza, the colored lights gleam in the huge 70-foot tree. Everywhere we hear the songs of Christmas. It came upon a midnight clear and decked the halls.
A little boy adoring the Christ child pays homage in his very special way. Dick Liebert at the great console of the music hall organ plays The Little Drummer Boy. Strung up over doors and under the lights, the white berries and green leaves of the mistletoe. Dick Liebert pictures it now in his own, Under the Christmas Mistletoe.
Silent Night, as rendered for us by Mr. Liebert. Everywhere tonight, there's warmth and goodwill. Now we hear two hymns for the season, O Holy Night and Adeste Fidelis.
from the Radio City Music Hall in New York City. NBC has presented the famous organist Dick Liebert in a selection of holiday carols. Now, here is Mr. Liebert to wish you greetings. Thank you. To those of you who have visited us here at the Radio City Music Hall and to the many friends I have made during my concert tours throughout America and Canada, a merry, merry Christmas. Thank you, Mr. Liebert. This has been a special Christmas Eve program of organ music by Dick Liebert. Direct from the giant stage of the Radio City Music Hall, which is currently featuring its holiday motion picture presentation, Cary Grant and Tony Curtis in Operation Petticoat. And on the great stage, the far-famed production of The Nativity. And an all-new gala holiday spectacle, Yule Moon, with the celebrated Rockettes, Corps de Ballet, the renowned Columbus Boy Choir, and the Symphony Orchestra. Now, this is Jerry Damon saying good night and wishing you all a merry, merry Christmas. Selected. Cut. Windows M. Desk M. My documents. Enter. Docu W. Walt. Enter. Walton. One two one five. Pasted. One two one. Saturday. Monitor six. Documents. Items. View. Multi. Select. List. C. Carnation. C. Christmas show. Enter. Christmas. L. Lumen. Denver. Lux Radio Theater. Enter. Shell. Three. Three one zero one nine four seven. It's a wonderful. Three two five one nine four zero. Remember the night to enter. Lux presents Hollywood. The Lux Radio Theater brings you Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray in Remember the Night with Elizabeth Patterson, Beulah Bondi, and Sterling Holloway. And ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. <laughs> Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Fine acting, a good story, and superb direction each contribute to the success of a motion picture. And we'll have to combine all three to explain the resounding success of the current Paramount picture, Remember the Night. As it happens, I take a personal pride in the success of this picture, because Mitchell Lyson, who directed it, served his apprenticeship with me. Consequently, it's with a special bow in Mitch's direction that I introduce our radio adaptation of his screen hit, Remember the Night. A triumphal return engagement for the same two stars who played it on the screen, Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray. And with them, we have Beulah Bondi 
Elizabeth Patterson, and Sterling Holloway of the picture cast. Remember the Night is a play you'll remember, and Lux Toilet Soap is a product you'll remember. When our feminine listeners remember to think of their appearance, and that's at least, well, part of the time, they know Lux Toilet Soap is a real aid to loveliness. Just why Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray have never been teamed before is one of Hollywood's unsolved mysteries. But the results in this picture call loudly for more of the same. So we were very insistent on having these stars of the picture in our production tonight. Barbara dropped in to visit my Northwest Mounted Police set, but I sent her home right away to get her script of Remember the Night. And I had to break into something to get Fred McMurray. I had to break into his vacation in Mexico. It was the same vacation which we interrupted a few weeks ago to bring him back to this microphone. However, he, he took our persecution very amiably and buckled right down to work. Ordinarily, I, I don't suppose a courtroom is the most promising place in the world for a love story, especially if the party of the first part is the prosecutor and the party of the second part is the girl on trial. But remember, the night is delightfully original from beginning to end with a love story that begins in a law court. So once more, it's curtain time in the Lux Radio Theater. As we start Act One of Remember the Night, starring Barbara Stanwyck as Lee Leander, Fred McMurray as John Sargent, with Beulah Bondi as his mother, Elizabeth Pat Patterson as Aunt Emma, and Sterling Holloway as Willie. A jewelry store on New York's Fifth Avenue. In the glittering showcases, a thousand precious stones sparkle in their brilliant settings. Although it's just a few weeks before Christmas, there's only one customer in the store this afternoon, a pretty girl in costly furs. On her wrist is a diamond bracelet, placed there by uh, an enthusiastic clerk. He smiles happily, sensing the sale is practically complete. Glorious, madam, isn't it? One of our most beautiful bracelets, really. Yes, it is beautiful. You won't regret taking it, madam. I'm sure I won't. Uh, what's the price, please? Only $5,000. 5000 That's reasonable. You won't find another one like it in New York, madam. Uh, shall I have Mr. Meyer make out the papers? Just a moment, please. I think I'd like to see one or two more before I make up my mind. Uh, that one in the lower tray, please. Let me see that. Oh, of course, madam. Uh, personally, I prefer the one you're wearing, but well, this one's quite beautiful, too. Uh, the emeralds set the diamonds off very nicely. Now, if you'll just place this one on your... Madam... Madam, where? Why, she's gone. Mr. Meyer, Mr. Meyer, she's gone. Police, police. Jones, what is it? Oh, that girl, she went out the door while my back was turned. She went out with a $5,000 bracelet. Calling car number 17, car number 17. Pickup girl, about 23 years. Dark complexion, silver fox furs. Vicinity, 5th Avenue, 54th Street. Search for diamond bracelets stolen from Meyer and Company. That is all. Hello. Hello. Oh, uh, this is Officer Cassidy reporting to headquarters. Say, we picked up that girl on call 17. Yeah. Caught her cold with the goods in a hock shop over on 3rd Avenue. She was trying to pawn the bracelet. Yeah. Okay. I'm bringing her in now. District Attorney's office. Who? Oh, just a moment. Who is it? Commissioner's office. It's about that acquittal yesterday in the shooting case. Uh, tell him I'm busy. Hello? Can the district attorney call you back? Thank you. Is that all they have to do? Beef about acquittals? 
All right, Tom, let's get going. Okay, boss. What's the first case today? That's a cinch. Dame by the name of Lee Leander. Cops a bracelet out of Miami Company on 3rd Avenue in Hoxton. Open and shut. First offense? Nah, she's got a record. This is a third offense. Well, that's good, that's good. The first offender at Christmas time is tougher than tiger meat. Tom, look at that chart. Conviction's only 78% as against 82% last year. Hey, can I handle this case, boss? I'll get you a conviction. Uh, you probably could handle it as well as some of these dopes, but when the right case comes along, I'll give it to you. Wife beater or something like that. Your face isn't right to prosecute a woman. Oh, boss, listen. Nothing doing, Tom, nothing doing. We'll get Sergeant on this one. Sergeant? What's his face got that mine hasn't got? Well, whatever it is, he's never lost a case for me yet. Yeah, but he's gone home for Christmas. Ohio, Oklahoma, someplace like that. Now, listen, I could get you a conviction so Take quick. it easy, Tom. Did Take you... it easy. Miss Day, get me John Sergeant on the phone. Yes, sir. Now, boss, now that ain't fair. Stop moaning. Sergeant's terrific with these pretty girls, John. Oh, Mr. Sergeant. Mr. Sergeant. Phone's ringing. Well, answer it, will you? I'm trying to get packed up in here. Okay, I'll answer. Hello. Hey, wait a minute, Rufus. Uh huh? Listen, if that's the office, tell him I've already left. Okay. Hello. Yes, sir. Yes. Well, this is the office. He's already left. Oh, you blockhead. Give me that phone. I just said... Shut uh, up. Uh, good morning. Who all wants to speak to Master Sergeant, please? Uh, hello, Sergeant. Uh, who do you think you're kidding? Oh, all right, never mind. Who is this? This is your boss. You know, it's a good thing you didn't take up acting for a living. Yeah? Well, what do you want? Well, listen, we got a case to try it this morning. I'll see you at the office in 15 minutes. Now, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be going home for Christmas. Sure, sure. You can leave here this afternoon. Yeah, but I've got 730 miles to drive. You told me I could... Now, look, Jack, don't argue. It's a female case, and I need you. Now, come on. Oh, I was afraid of this. Who's defending? Oh, Leary. That windbag? He'll give us the Gettysburg Address and the Declaration of Independence. Oh, no, he won't. I'll have Tom meet you in court, and you'll be out of there by noon. Now, get right down here. Goodbye. Now, listen, boss. I... Hello. Hello. Oh, O'Leary. Oh, He'll talk all day, all day long. When you leave, Mr. Sergeant. Shut up. Quiet, please. Proceed with your summation, Mr. O'Leary. Thank you, Your Honor. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, during the course of this trial, you've heard the prosecuting attorney, Mr. Sergeant, attempt to prove that a valuable bracelet was taken from the premises of Meyer and Company by the defense. All this has been a waste of time, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, of your time and mine. Time we could spend to, to better advantage in, in last-minute Christmas shopping. At least I, I know that's what I'd like to be doing. <laughs> May it please the court, we object, Your Honor. The jury's Christmas shopping has nothing to do with the case. Objection sustained. I withdraw the illusion, Your Honor. Ladies and gentlemen, when I say the time has been wasted, I mean the state has gone to great lengths to prove that Anna Rose Malone, sometimes known as Lee Leander... Sometimes known as a lot of other things. ...did on the afternoon of December 3rd walk out upon Fifth Avenue with a bracelet which was still the property of Myron Company. To prove something, she freely admits. As if the proof of this constituted a proof of guilt. Since the dawn of civilization, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, since the beginnings of jurisprudence, wise men and women have refused to be hoodwinked by circumstantial evidence. The contents of a whiskey bottle... Hey, Jack, I don't like a smile on that jury's pan. All juries get soft-hearted at Christmas, Tommy. If you ever get a case to prosecute and you see that peace on earth, goodwill toward men look come in their eyes, get a continuance, even if you have to fall down and tell the judge ate green apples. Yeah. A young woman walking out of a store with something not her own is necessarily an evildoer. Oh, how flimsy is this argument. How unfair. But on it, and because of it, you have been asked to take away the liberty of a fellow human being. Now, the truth is simple. 
The bracelet was removed during a temporary loss of will and consciousness, now known as schizophrenia, but formerly known as hypnotism. Holy mackerel, that's a sweet one, hypnotism. Shut up, Tommy. You mean you're not going to object? Shut up. He's just postponed the case till after Christmas. Yeah? How do you figure that? Hypnotism. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yes, I said hypnotism, and that's exactly what I meant. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I want you to gaze upon this girl's face. Is this the face of a hardened criminal? An outcast from society? No. No. But the prosecution would have you believe that she willingly and in her right mind stole, stole a bracelet. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what really happened. The truth. This girl, this poor unfortunate creature, went into that jewelry store not to buy, not to steal, but only to look. A salesman showed her the bracelet, urged her to clasp it around her wrist, begged her to examine it under a more powerful light, and then excused himself. The bracelet is under a powerful light. The young girl stares at it closer, closer. The great central stone flashes blindingly in her eyes. Blue, green, purple, orange, closer, still closer. Suddenly, the colors are gone. Everything is dark. A breath of cold air brings her to her senses, but... What's this? Where is the jewelry store? Where is the light she was standing under? What is she doing on Fifth Avenue, blocks away from Myron Company? She... she doesn't know. She can't remember. Her mind is a blank. And why? Why? This girl, this poor, unfortunate creature was a victim. An unwilling victim of hypnosis. Your Honor, the defense rests. All right now, Tommy, watch. Your Honor. Yes? Your Honor, the hypothesis of hypnotism is a very interesting one. Let me be the first to admit it. But unfortunately, I am no Svengali, nor are you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. The people of the state of New York will require the expert testimony of Dr. Kindness, the psychiatrist. For this purpose, the people will request a continuance be granted till after the Christmas holidays. We object, Your Honor. The defense was already summed up. The case was practically closed. Objection overruled. But, Your Honor... The defendant will remain in custody, subject to giving a $5,000 bond. And all jurors, parties, and witnesses are instructed to return to the court Tuesday, January 3rd. Court adjourned, and a very Merry Christmas to you all. Just a minute, just a minute, Sergeant. That was a dirty trick you played on me. Means another day in court, and I don't get paid by the state. I have to earn my money. No more sense of humor than a gravestone. Huh? Well, Merry Christmas, Francis. Why, you... Oh, take it easy, Mr. Let me go. I want to speak to my lawyer. Mr. O'Leary, this guard says I have to have a bond or stay in jail. That's right. Is it right? You ought to know, Mr. District Attorney. I'm afraid it is. Well, how can I get a bond? I haven't any more money and I don't want to spend Christmas in jail. Please don't let them do that. What do you mean you haven't got any more money? What have I been talking for, to hear my own voice? If you hadn't talked so much, I'd be out of here right now. What do you mean by that? Hypnotism. That gag's so old it's got whiskers. Oh, please, please don't let them keep me here over Christmas. Ah, what's the difference? What could you do if you haven't got any money? I could walk around, couldn't I? Come on, miss. It ain't as bad as you think. You get a nice little uh, room and a nice turkey dinner on Christmas. Yes, yes, I know. Never mind the build-up. Let's go. I hope you have a Merry Christmas, Mr. Sergeant. Hey, she's kind of sore at you, Jack. Yeah. Say, uh, Tommy, on your way out, send Fat Mike in here, will you? Huh? Fat Mike the bondsman? If you know any other Fat Mikes, you can send them, too. I get it. You don't, but let it pass. Okay, I'll send them right away. 
Hey, Mike. Yeah? Mr. Sergeant wants to see you right away. Sure, sure. Coming. Hello, Mr. Sergeant. You want to see me? Yeah. What will you charge for 5,000 bail from now till January 3rd? Did they pin something on you, pal? No, it isn't for me. It's for the young woman who's in here today. Oh, I see. How much? For a friend of yours? Nothing. Not a red Samelka. I didn't ask you for any favors. Favors? It's a privilege. You still living at the same place? Yeah. Why? How soon you want her out? Right away. Okay. She's out. Thanks. So long. Hey, Rufus, you got those other grips packed? Rufus! Yeah, I am, boss. What's the matter with you? She's here, boss. Who's here? I don't know. Then how do you know she's here? I just let her in the living room. You let who in? The lady. You you mean there's a lady here in the apartment? Yes, sir. Well, what'd you let her in for? I, I told you I wasn't home to anybody. Yes, sir, I told him that. But he shoved the door open anyhow and pushed the lady in with his compliments. Who did? A man, a uh, fat Ike. Fat Ike? You mean Fat Mike? Yes, sir. He's showing thin, Mike. Mm-hmm. What did he bring her here for? I don't know. I guess I'll have to go and speak to her. Yes, you will. <laughs> well, hello. Hello. What are you doing here? I don't know yet, but I've got a rough idea. Well, uh, anyway, I'm glad you're out. Mm-hmm. Now what do I have to do for it? Well, for one thing, you could say thank you, but if that doesn't fit in with your plans, just skip it. My motive's in this here matter. Here you are, boss. Here's the drinks. What drinks? I didn't tell you. Got some soda, miss? Thanks. Drink, boss? Get out of here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I know. <laughs> you know, one of these days, one of you boys is going to start one of these scenes differently. And one of us girls is going to drop dead from surprise. What are you talking about? I suppose you do this with all the lady prisoners? Oh, yes. My life is just one long round of whooping. Well, you're in a good spot for it. Wonderful. I have only to wave a finger and I can satisfy my slightest whim. And I suppose if anybody says no, you just put them right back in the cooler. That's right. Now, look. When court reconvenes, I'm going to try to put you in jail for a good long time. That's my business. But you haven't been convicted yet, so I don't see why you shouldn't enjoy Christmas like the rest of us. That's why I told Mike to get you out. And bring me up here. I did not tell him to bring you up here. Then why did that gorilla bring me up here? Because he's got a mind like a, a sewer. Thanks. Now, look. I'm very glad to have been of service to you. Now, if you... You mean I... I don't have to stay here if I don't want to? You most certainly do not. Oh, then I'll stay. But I won't be forced. Now, wait a minute. You know, there's nothing as dangerous as a square shooter. If all men were like you, there wouldn't be any nice girls left. Yes, well, all this is leading into a very interesting subject that I haven't time to pursue at the moment. I'm going away on a little trip, and it's quite a drive, and I haven't had my dinner yet. Oh, you mean you want me to go? Well, yes. Where? Where what? Well, I was on my way to a nice, comfortable jail with three meals a day and turkey for Christmas, and now I... Don't you live someplace? No. Well, where have you been, living in a, in a tree? I had a room in a hotel, but they locked me out. Oh. Well, how much do you owe this hotel? $126.40. Oh. Well, that doesn't solve any problems. Look, why don't you just put me back in the clink? That solves lots of problems. Well, for one thing, I'm not sure I can't. And, well, that wasn't the idea. Have you had dinner? Not yet. Now, come on, then. I'll take you to dinner and we'll figure something out. You really didn't want me to come here at all, then? I'm sorry to say I did not. I see. Well, shall we go? Here's your hat, boss. Going out, huh? Yes, I am. Hot dog. <laughs> but don't forget you got to see you more. Shut up. <laughs> Want anything else? No, thanks. It's been nice up to now. Yeah. You know, I was thinking I uh, I might lend you my apartment while oh. I'm away. Oh, 
That sounds like a play, doesn't it? Yeah, sounds like a flop. Don't worry about me. I can always chisel a hotel for a week or so. That's a nice, cheesy idea. Well, I'm not going to sleep in the subway. And as far as the holiday's concerned, I guess I'll get plenty of that when you get through with me. Oh, uh, not that I mean it in a disagreeable way, you understand. I understand. Your business is your business. Of course, some people wouldn't care for that kind of business, but somebody has to do the dirty work. Thanks. Just too bad it had to be somebody as nice as you. How long have you been swiping things? Always. Have you been caught before? Uh-huh. Did you take things you didn't need? Sure. In the presence of beautiful things, did you feel a sudden irresistible urge to take them in your hands and hurry away with them? Oh, you mean was I hypnotized? No, no, I, I mean maybe you're a kleptomaniac. Oh, no, no. They tried that, though. Now, you see, to be a kleptomaniac, you can't sell any of the stuff afterwards or you uh, you lose your amateur standing. I don't understand it. First oh, I, I don't think you ever could understand because your mind is different. Right or wrong is the same for everybody, you see, but the, the rights and the wrongs aren't the same. Oh, that's ridiculous. Is it? All right, try it like this. Suppose you were starving to death. Yeah. And you didn't have any food, and you didn't have any money, and you, you didn't have any place to get anything. Mm -hmm. And there were some loaves of bread out in front of a market, and, well, now remember, you're starving to death, and the man's back was turned. Would you swipe one? You bet I would. That's because you're honest. You see, I'd have a six-course dinner at the table door across the street and then say I'd forgotten my purse. Get the difference? I think you're way smarter. Yeah, that's it. We're smart. Very smart. Well, we're all finished. Waiter, check, please. Uh, right away, sir. Well, Miss Leander, I've got a couple of extra bucks I don't need. Here's a, a Christmas dinner I promised you, and a room and a couple of breakfasts. Oh, thanks. Thanks a lot. Uh, check, sir. Oh, here you are. Oh, uh, will you ask the band to play my Indiana home? Oh, yes, sir. I'll ask them. Thank you. Why do you want them to play that? Because that's where I'm going. No. Are you a Hoosier? Yeah, Wabash, Indiana. That is a farm just outside of Wabash. Wabash, Indiana? Oh, no wonder I liked you. I'm from Eltonville. No. Uh-huh. Well, that's only about 50 miles from... Yes, sir. Well, I'll be darned. <laughs> we have to come here and meet like this. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? So, you're going back home, huh? Yeah, I go home every Christmas. You do. Oh, gee, that's great. My mother still runs the farm. She does all right, too. She raises partridge, wine, us, Poland, China. Oh, and... we never had anything, that's why. Well. <laughs> we never did either till lately. How long since you've been home? Never. Why? I ran away. Well, I don't know what the circumstances were, of course. But... Not so hot. Well, time takes care of those things. Do they write to you? I had a letter from my mother when my father died. Oh, your mother's alive then? Huh? I hope so. That song, it's awful pretty, isn't it? Kind of... Oh, it kind of does things to you. Yeah. So, look. How would you like to go home for Christmas? What? I mean it. I, I could drop you off at your place and pick you up on my way back. Home? Oh, gee, I, I don't know. Now, come on. It'll do you good. What do you say? All right. Unless... Aren't you afraid? Afraid of what? How it might look. Rising young district attorney and me... I didn't think of it. I know. You never think of anything wrong, do you? That's what makes you such a swell guy. Curtain falls on the first act of Remember the Night with Barbara Stanwyck, 
Fred McMurray, Elizabeth Patterson, Beulah Bondi, and Sterling Holloway. Over on Rockwell Street, in a little white bungalow, the first guest has just arrived a bit early for one of those bridge get-togethers the ladies have from time to time. We're going to let you hear what this guest says, and what she thinks, too. Why, hello, Ellie. How nice you look. Where did she find that dress, I wonder? She has the best taste. Excuse the way I look, Ellie. I'm a little early. Came right straight from the office. I worked late, and I didn't really have time to go home and change. Gosh, do I feel grimy. I can only take a quick bath. My, how lovely the living room looks. Those flowers are just the right color. I wonder if she'd think me nervy if I asked to take a bath. Tired? Oh, well, not exactly, Ellie. I'm just sort of, well, messy, you know. A bath? Oh, how lovely of you. I hadn't thought of it, but it would make me feel better. Oh, thanks. That's awfully kind. What a pretty negligee. Well, I feel good in this. Everything she has is perfect. Yes, thanks so much, Ellie. Don't wait. I have everything I need. She's got much toilet soap. I ought to have known she would. She's got such taste. Everything is perfect. Mm, gosh, does this feel good? This nice luck soap will do the trick all right. I love the way it lathers. Yes, a Lux Toilet Soap Beauty Bath will do the trick. Leave Ellie's guest feeling fresh from head to toe. This luxurious white soap that nine out of ten screen stars use has creamy, active lather that swiftly carries away perspiration, every trace of dust and dirt. You'll find a daily Lux Soap Beauty Bath a wonderful way to protect daintiness, make you sure of fresh, fragrant skin. And it's true that Lux Toilet Soap in your bathroom has come to be one of those little things that mean good housekeeping, good taste. The superlative quality of this fine white soap, its delicate, distinctive perfume, makes it a joy to family and to guests. It's luxurious and yet not a luxury. For it's sold by so many thousands of cakes that its price is kept low. Now, the economical way to buy it is three cakes at a time. And you might try leaving a cake you want using in among your linens or under things. It'll leave them delightfully fragrant. Now, our producer, Mr. DeMille. Act two of Remember the Night, starring Barbara Stanwyck as Lee and Fred McMurray as John Sargent, with Beulah Bondi as his mother, Elizabeth Patterson as Aunt Emma, and Sterling Holloway as Willie. Westward, along the snow-banked highways from New York, more than 20 hours of steady driving have brought Lee Leander and Jack Sargent to Eltonville, Indiana, and the front gate of Lee's former home. A bright moon softens the outline of the ramshackle house that, that stands cold and dark on the outskirts of the town. From within the house comes the warning wail of a dog as Jack swings the car up to the sagging front porch. This is it, huh? Yes. Well, all out then. End of the line. Oh, please, let's wait till... Well, my mother might not even live here anymore. Hey, don't be so nervous. Well, will you go in with me? Sure, I'll go in with you. Come on, I've got your bag. See that tree? Yeah. I fell out of it when I was 12. Oh, it was a terrible tomboy. See, from that branch right up there. Landed on my head, too. <laughs> That's a better gag than hypnotism. Your lawyer should have used that. As a matter of fact, you should have had me for your lawyer. Come on now, smile. Here we are. 
Oh, gee, I, I didn't mean to knock so loud. Why, that sounds like Mickey barking. Oh, it couldn't be. He'd be too... Here's somebody coming. Yeah. Now, look, I'll pick you up on New Year's Day in the afternoon. Don't forget. No. Gee, you've been sweet. Will you shut up? Yes? Oh, I'm terribly sorry. Doesn't Mrs. Malone live here? Oh, I guess you want my wife. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, is Henry? Somebody want me? Mama. Oh, Merry Christmas, Mama. Well, you... You know me, don't you? Come in. This is Mr. Uh... Sergeant, how do you do? Sit down. You're looking fine, Mama. What did you come here for? What do you want? Oh, I don't want anything, Mama. It was just Christmas, and Mr. Sergeant happened to be driving... You past... see, I live in Wabash. It's just about 50 miles from here. I knew you'd be glad if glad? I... Glad? Why should I be glad? Good riddance to bad rubbish, I said, the day she left. Oh, Mama, please, Mr. Sergeant... Just like her father she is. Always laughing at serious things she was. Never doing what she's told till she winds up stealing. Stealing my mission money. Money I'd put by with the sweat of my brow, that's what. I didn't steal it. I, I told you a thousand times I only borrowed it. I was going to pay you back. But you didn't pay me back, did you? And you never paid me back. Well, how could I after you called me a thief in front of the whole town? Nobody would give me a job. And you left here. The great lady. We weren't good enough for you. A decent home, a hard-working mother, and a crook for a daughter. Oh, Mama. Look, Lee, I don't want to tear you away, but uh, we still have 50 miles to go. Oh. Are you ready? Oh, yes. It's been very interesting to meet you, Mrs. Uh... A name doesn't concern you. It most certainly does not. Come on, kid. I'd, I'd forgotten how much that woman hates me. And how much I hate her. That's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? No. But ever since I was little, she was always so right and I was always so wrong. Thanks for getting me out. I'll stay anywhere. Any old place will do if I'm far enough away from her. Hey, take it easy. I wish I'd broken my neck when I fell out of that tree. It's a little too late to think about that now, isn't it? You won't make me stay in Nelsonville. You'll find me a room somewhere else. Sure, I will. Any old dump will do. That's just what you're going to get. It's only got one window and the mattress is stuffed with rocks and it's got a painting of the cross-eyedest old man you ever saw in your life. How do you know? How do I know what? Oh, that my grandfather was cross-eyed? You mean you're... You're taking me home with you? Why not? Oh. Well, forget... Now what? Oh. Hey, anyone home? Hey! John, John! Hello, Mother. Oh, my boy, my oh, boy. Gosh, Mother, it's good to see you. Oh, I just can't believe you're here at last. <laughs> well, Jack, Sergeant. Hey, Emmy, hello, Emmy. How about a kiss, huh? <laughs> oh, I, I, I declare I'm glad you're here. If only to stop your mother from taking leave of her senses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, I'll say. Hello, John. Welcome home. Hello, Willie. The girl's still chasing you? Oh, John. What made you so late, dear? We thought you'd be here by six at least. Well, you see... <laughs> hey, who's that in the front seat? Oh, I, I'm sorry. Mother, this is Miss Lee Leander. She's come to spend Christmas with us. How do you do? Oh, how nice. Well, I'm so glad to know you, my dear. And this is my Aunt Emmy. Knows more about flannel cakes than the guy who invented them. Hello. <laughs> I'm right pleased to meet you, Miss Leander. And this is Willie Sims, our hired boy. He's crazy about the girls, and the girls are crazy about him. I'm <laughs> Willie Sims. <laughs> 
pleased to meet you. Hello. I hope I won't be too much trouble, Mrs. Sargent. Trouble? Why, bless your child, it's a joy no to have you here. No, not all <laughs> fair. But, John, Sergeant, why didn't you send me a telegram? Well, you see, Mother, this was rather unexpected. Well, and I... never mind all that. Now, come along, child. You must be near freezing to death. And here we are, cackling like a couple of Emmy. What? Did you leave those cookies in the oven? Oh, jeepers creepers. Oh. <laughs> come along now, everyone. This way, Miss Leanne. Thanks. Oh, boy, John. What? Ain't she a peacherino? Who? Oh. <laughs> All I can say is hot dog. <laughs> Come on, grab a grip, Willie. I want to thaw up in a hurry. Go on, Jack. Now, don't stop. Play that other piece you used to do so good. I can't remember it anymore, Mother. Oh, well, try, dear. Don't you think he plays nice, Miss Leander? You don't have to answer that, Lee. I, I had $14 <laughs> worth of piano lessons once, and they've never forgotten <laughs> <laughs> Willie, hand me that popcorn. We've got to have it all strung for the tree tomorrow. Yes, and here you are. Well, here, you can help me. You haven't done a thing all night. Oh, gee, didn't I help Miss Leander with all them dinner dishes? You should have done them yourself, Willie. Miss Leander's a guest. Oh, oh, I like doing them, Mrs. Sergeant. I've lived in hotels and um, places so long, I haven't been around the house as much as I'd like. <laughs> Your folks dead? Willie. Ma'am? Oh, I don't mind. My father's dead. My mother's remarried. Well, that's too bad, my dear. I always say it's so hard on the children. It just isn't the same with a new parent. Uh, 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 Go on, go on, Jack. Now, uh, just one more piece. No, that's all the next year, enemy. Oh, please, dear. I'll play you a piece if you want. Oh, that'd be fine. Hudgie, can you play? Well, I used to play in the dime store. What would you all like? It doesn't make any difference. I can sing the end of a perfect day. Now, Willie. Well, I can. So can everybody else, Willie. The end of a perfect day. I think I remember it. Oh, boy. Uh, give us a downbeat, please, Miss Leander. <laughs> when you come to the end of a perfect day And you sit Alone with your thought while the chimes ring out with a carol again for the joy that Time for bed. Gracious, the evening's gone past. The rest went up long ago. Wait, Mother. There's one thing you must be curious about. What, dear? Miss Leander. Yes? I, uh, I don't know whether to tell you this or not, but I don't like to bring somebody under your roof without you knowing exactly who she is. Oh, John. I think I can guess. What? Oh, no, no, not at all, Mother. She isn't even a friend of mine. Well, she certainly should be. I think she's charming. She is charming, Mother, but... Uh... She reminds me of your father's cousin, Winifred, who died when her second was born. The lovely, sweet thing. I was just saying to Emmy... Wait a minute, Mother. Unfortunately, the girl's a crook. I'm going to put her in jail when we get back to New York. What? But in the meanwhile, she had no place to go for Christmas, oh, so I... Oh, the poor lamb. You'll do no such thing, John Sargent. Why, that girl's as honest as all outdoors, I can tell by just looking at her face. Well, if she did take some little thing, I'm, I'm sure it was entirely by mistake. She's, she's probably a, a hypochondriac. Hypochondriac, huh? 
Now she might be at that. She hasn't really taken things, has she, dear? You're just making a bad joke now, aren't you? No, Mother. I'm afraid this isn't even a first offense. But that doesn't mean she wasn't unhappy and lonely and a human being like the rest of us. Well, the poor thing probably didn't get enough love as a child. Do you remember how bad you were... Well, not really bad, but... Do you remember the time you took my egg money I was going to buy a new dress with? And then how hard you worked to pay it back when you understood. You made me understand. Oh, it was love, dear, that made you understand. Well, I do hope she enjoys her stay here. Now, we must do everything to make her happy and comfortable and to feel like one of the family. Do you think we ought to lock up the silver? <laughs> <laughs> well, good night, son. Good night, Mother. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Oh, this is I've never seen so many presents in all my days. Well, here's another one for you, Mother. For me? Oh, John, another bottle of perfume. Ecstasy, too. Well, I haven't even started on that bottle of ecstasy you gave me last year. <laughs> and I never here's a present for you. Oh. Willie, what have you got there? I don't know yet. Getting her open. My Jack. Huh? What? Oh, what's this supposed to be? Oh, a nightgown, Emmy. Oh, Jack, Sergeant, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> oh, gee, you can see right through it. Willie, lovely, isn't it? <laughs> Gee, we've got all our stuff open, and, well, I'm sorry about the present situation, Lee. If we'd only known sooner... Why, we'd... John, there's some presents for Miss Leander over there on the sofa. Oh. Why, of course, Jack, you must have forgotten. Oh, well, I uh, guess you can always trust Santa Claus. Three packages, Lee, here. Merry Christmas, Oh, no. Eve. Oh, you shouldn't have gone to all that trouble. Open them up now, oh. dear. Oh, what a lovely pincushion. It's so pretty. Oh, it's nothing at all. Just scraps and things I've been collecting for years. <laughs> here's, oh. here's the next one. Very Merry Christmas to Miss oh. Leander from Jack's Aunt Emmy. <gasps> Stockings. Oh, thank you so much. Mm. Bed socks. Oh. <laughs> Not so fancy, but wonderful on a cold night for a spinster lady. Oh, it's <laughs> awfully sweet of you all. Here's another, Miss oh, Leander. Oh, no, not really. Yeah. Who's that from, Willie? From you, you big dunce. Don't you remember anything? Well, but I didn't... Gracious thanks, Oh, oh, perfume. Oh, thank you. Oh, it's nothing, just a bottle of perfume. And ecstasy, too. Yeah, that's right. Oh, you're... You're all much too kind. I don't think I've ever met anyone so thoughtful and so... Oh, nonsense, child. We're so happy to have you and so anxious for you to enjoy your stay. Of course, there isn't much to do here, except tonight we're bobbing for apples, and tomorrow the young folks have a treasure hunt, and Thursday's the charity bazaar. Then we rest up for a day. And the next day's New Year's. That's the big event. And this year we're having a real old fashioned barn dance like the hicks were supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's all there is. Farmers' wives don't die of boredom anymore. They die of heart failure. <laughs> This is the best barn dance we've ever had. <laughs> yes. Oh, they dance beautifully together, don't they? It reminds me... What? Who? Jack and Miss Leander. Like they were made for each other. If you're hinting that John's in love with her, well... Well, he isn't, Emmy. Fiddlesticks, Lucy. Fiddlesticks. She's in love with him, too. I tell you, they're not. You don't know anything about these things, Emmy. Lucy Sargent, if you're referring to the fact that I never married... I'd like to point out that you don't have to be a horse to judge a horse show. If ever I saw two people in love. They are not. They can't be. They just can't be. 
Almost over, isn't it? Yeah, just about. We'll be pulling out for New York in the morning. And the third will be one day nearer. The third? Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean that third? When my case comes up again. I hadn't thought of it. I have. But you've all been so sweet, no matter what happens after we get back. It won't matter so much. I'll have some wonderful memories. So will I. Ladies and gentlemen, I have the honor to wish you all a very happy New Year. Happy New Year, Lee. Happy New Year, Jack. You know, it's an old-fashioned custom, but people always kiss each other. Well, at this time. I know it. Well, what am I waiting for? I don't know. Why are you? comes right early, children. You better get your sleep. What time's breakfast, Aunt Emmy? Time for you to leave early. What'll it be? Flannel cakes or fried mush? Well, how about it, Lee? Oh, I think we'll ride better on the mush. Fried <laughs> mush, then. Good night, children. Good, good night, night Aunt Emmy. You sleepy? Not very. How about a good night cigarette? Well, I'd love it. I'll meet you downstairs. Swell. I'll be waiting for you. Just a minute, Jack. I was just... Oh, Mrs. Sargent. I'm sorry to disturb you, dear, but you'll be in such a rush in the morning. Oh, no, you're not disturbing me. Come in. Thank you. First of all, I want you to know how glad we've been to have you here and how much I hope you've enjoyed your stay. You'll never know how much. And then, well, I want you to know how sorry I am that you're in trouble and how much I hope it'll come out all right. I... I didn't know you knew about that. Oh, you poor child. You can be sure I, I never would have mentioned it now, only... Well, has Jack ever told you anything about his childhood? No, why? We were very poor after my husband died. In fact, we had nothing. Jack had to do chores before school and after school, and then after chores, he studied in the evening so he could go to college. Then he had to work his way through college and through law school. Oh, I don't mean there's anything unusual about it, but I'm, I'm only trying to tell you that he worked very hard to get where he is. Very, very hard. And, well, he's my son, and I wouldn't want anything or anyone to spoil it for him now. I see. But I don't see why anything should spoil it for him, do you? He's in love with you. Oh, no, he isn't in love with me. He's never had any more interest in me than, well, some panhandler he'd buy a meal for. Are you sure? Well, of course I'm sure. He kissed you tonight. Well, I, not exactly ugly. Oh, he might have had a little fever for me, but it isn't going any further, and it hasn't been any place either. I see. He's no fool. And even if he was, I wouldn't hurt him or you, Aunt Emmy, or even Willie. Thank you, dear. And good night. But you do love him, don't you? I'm... I'm afraid so. I knew you did. 
Lee. Lee. Yes? How about that good night cigarette? No. No, thanks. I'm too sleepy. Oh. Okay. See you in the morning. Good night. Good night. I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> Curtain falls on the second act of Remember the Night with Barbara Stanwyck, Fred McMurray, Elizabeth Patterson, Beulah Bondi, and Sterling Holloway. Before our stars return in Act Three, let's hear from our studio reporter, Libby Collins. Well, Mr. Roik, I'm much impressed with the young Warner Brothers star who's attracting a great deal of attention right now, Jane Wyman. Oh, yes, Jane Wyman. Say, she did Warner Brothers proud in Brother Rat and a Baby. And let's see. And in Angel from Texas, a new picture which will be out in a few weeks. Young Jane Wyman distinguished herself so in those two parts, Mr. Roy, that all the wise money in Hollywood is betting that she'll be one of the biggest stars in pictures in a year or two. What's Jane like personally, Libby? Mm, She's one of the all-round nicest girls I've ever met. And a regular dynamo of energy. In fact, her nickname at the studio is Dynamite. That's interesting. She's just been married to Ronald Regan, who has a romantic interest in several pictures. Yes, I remember that. Incidentally, Jane is another of that army of models who've made good in pictures. She makes good use of that experience now by designing her own clothes. Do you know what a Hollywood makeup man told me about Jane Wyman? No, what was it to be? That she's one of the most naturally beautiful girls in Hollywood. And so I thought what she has to say about complexion beauty ought to be especially interesting. Well, I think you're right about that, Libby. What does she say? She says she thinks the most important single thing a girl can do for her complexion is to use Lux soap every night at bedtime for an active lather facial. Jane says she herself never misses out on this, no matter how tired she is. It only takes about three minutes, and she sleeps better because her conscience is clear. She knows she done right by her skin. Thank you, Libby. It's evident that Jane Wyman is a clever little girl. She's not going to risk spoiling her complexion the good looks that mean so much to her success through carelessness. Now, what about your complexion? Is it as lovely as it ought to be? You'll find Lux Toilet Soap a wonderful beauty aid. You'll find, if you use it regularly, this soap with active lather really works. Now, perhaps without realizing it, you've been careless about removing stale cosmetics, dust and dirt, and so your skin is, well, not what it might be. Why don't you make sure of thorough cleansing? Why don't you begin tonight to give your skin the gentle beauty care that Lux Toilet Soap's Active Lather gives? Take your first Active Lather facial tonight, and then keep it up for 30 days. See what it can do for you. We pause now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Curtain rises on the third act of Remember the Night. It's early the following morning. 
in the half-light just before dawn. Jack and Lee are ready to leave for New York. As they come down the steps of the old house, Mrs. Sargent takes Lee aside. Goodbye, dear. Goodbye, Mrs. Sargent. Remember, there's always a room upstairs for you, and we'll be only too glad to have you. That, that is, if everything turns out. <laughs> I mean, of course it will. I know it will. And don't drive too fast, Jack Sargent. If you get tired, just drive into a field someplace and go to sleep. <laughs> oh, thanks. Anyway, we're going up through Canada. I've never seen the place. Canada? What are you talking about? Oh, just a different way of getting there. Well, whatever you do, John, take good care of yourself. I will, Mother. Bye, Jack. Goodbye, Emmy. So long, Willie. Goodbye. Goodbye, dear. Let me hear from you often. I will, Mother. Goodbye. Goodbye, Miss Leanne. Goodbye, Willie. Goodbye, all. Goodbye. Bye. Hey, don't forget to write. And don't you forget to chop some wood. Christmas is over. Oh, ain't it the truth? Ain't it the truth? idea of stopping. Lee, do you know where we are? Of course. We're in Canada. We should be. We crossed the border three hours ago. No, you don't get it. Look, this is Canada. Over there's the United States. Stay here, Lee. Don't go back. Oh, stop talking nonsense. It isn't nonsense. I'm not a policeman. I can't make you go. Is your conscience gnawing at you? What do you think it was when I got bail for you? Oh, that. That seems like 80 years ago. I didn't even know you were against me. Oh, I, I did know you were supposed to be trying to put me in jail or something, but... Oh, you were so gentle about it. Yeah, that's part of the technique. If you don't treat a woman with kid gloves, every man on the jury wants to punch you in the nose. And you have to handle a jury with kid gloves, too. You'll get it right in the verdict. You know, it's very hard to put a woman in jail no matter what she's done. I'm supposed to be kind of a specialist at it. No, you're not. Sure I am. You're just trying to make me hate you so you won't feel so bad when you give me the business, aren't you? Look, are you going to stay in Canada? A fine district attorney you are telling me to jump bail. You know I love you, don't you? Don't say that. And you love me. No. I suppose that's why you've looked at me the way you have, kissed me the way you did, and why your hand has always found mine and mine has always found yours whenever they were anywhere near each other. Oh, Jack, don't be a fool. Look, I... I'm only human. But you've got to remember how hard you work to get where you are. You've got to think of the hours and the days and the years you spent getting through college. I see. Mother's been talking well, to you. Well, why shouldn't she? She's got everything to be proud of. And you've got to be proud and think about it, too, instead of telling people to jump bail Please. or tell... I love you, Lee. Oh, Jack. I love you. Oh, darling, it, it'll be awfully hard to lose you. You know what I wish? What? I wish the case was over and you'd been acquitted. And... Oh, then you shouldn't have had it postponed. Yeah. If I hadn't, I'd never have met you. That's true. So the case is dismissed and you've been acquitted. Knock wood. And I pull out a marriage license. Oh, and, gee. And we march right into the judge's chambers and have him marry us. You know, you're talking like a madman, don't you? Yeah, I, I guess so. Come on, let's go. Jack, the courtroom's less than a block away. Or don't you care if the jury and the rest of them see you with me? Oh, so I'm not good enough to be seen with you, huh? You don't love me anymore. I never loved you. Were you just toying with oh, me? Oh, shut up. <laughs> You'll have to develop more courtesy and respect for your future husband, or I shall fall back in strong measures. A woman, a dog, and a hickory tree, the better you beat them, the better they be. Oh, quit it, <laughs> will you? All right. What? I can't argue with you. 
Imagine being married to a man who argues for a living. But you know all this isn't right. Can't you see the papers? District attorney marries girl crook. I'd only hurt you, Jack. But you won't be a crook. You, you'll be acquitted. How do you know? Well, I, I don't know, but I, I think you've got a good chance. You wouldn't do anything to make them acquit me, would you? What could I do? I don't know, but you could throw the case Listen, if you... Listen, you're being tried by a judge and a jury. It's up to them. They know the facts. They speak for themselves. There's nothing I can do about it, not a thing. I hope there isn't. It would be a fine thing, wouldn't it? Now, don't worry. Everything's going to come out all right. So long, darling. I'll see you in court. You may proceed, Mr. Sergeant. Thank you, Your Honor. I will if this jury will let me. They've been mumbling to themselves all morning. I'll take care of the jury, Mr. Sergeant. Thank you. Now, Miss Leander, I believe you have testified that you were hypnotized at the time you left the jewelry store and walked up Fifth Avenue. Didn't you? I, I... Did you or didn't you? Answer the question, Miss Leander. Well, my lawyer said so. Oh, your lawyer said so. Are we to understand, then, that you and your lawyer do not agree as to exactly what happened? Don't answer that question. Object, if Your Honor, please. The question is entirely improper, and I, I ask it to be stricken from the record. Sustained. The jury will disregard the question. I was only trying... Your Honor, those jurors are at it again. If they'd listen to the testimony instead of whispering among themselves... Like... Proceed with the case, please. You can't hear yourself think. Well, Miss Leander, were you hypnotized or weren't you? I... I suppose... We don't want your suppositions. We want to know whether or not you were hypnotized. Yes. Guess what? I guess I was hypnotized. You guess you were hypnotized. First you supposed you were hypnotized, now you guess you were. Kindly remember you're under oath. Do you know the penalty for perjury? If your honor, please, I object. Sustained. Tell me, Miss Leander, just how many times have you been hypnotized by beautiful jewelry? I guess quite a lot of times. Did you hear by any chance Dr. Keimlitz's opinion concerning hypnotism? Well? I, I, I'm trying to think. I, I... You don't treat a woman with kid gloves. Every man on the jury wants to punch you on the nose. Oh... Will the witness please answer my question? And will the juries please stop mumbling? Jack, you... you... You have to handle the jury with kid gloves, too. You'll get it right in the verdict. He's my son. It's all right. It's all right. Just take all the time you want, Miss Leander. He's worked so hard. I wouldn't want anything to spoil it for him now. Well, Miss Leander? Oh. Nothing must spoil it for him. Well, Miss Leander, what is it? What is it? Your Honor, I object to the tactics being pursued by the district attorney. He's, he's harrying the defense. No, no, wait. Wait, I want to plead guilty. Your Honor, I, I don't believe this young woman is well. I request a five-minute recess. I want to plead guilty. If Your, Your Honor, Honor, it must please, be... Please, it must be perfectly Your Honor, a few minutes recess, please. She's obviously not responsible for what she's saying. Attorney. I ask that Your Honor intercede in this matter. Why do you wish to plead guilty? Because I am guilty. You see, when you work hard for something and, and promises are made... You just can't toss it away, no matter what. Your Honor, it must be perfectly clear now that this is not normal behavior. Perfectly clear, of course, and the state has no desire to take advantage of a temporary operation. There isn't anything temporary about this. Your Honor, you can see that I'm in my right mind. I plead guilty. You leave me no other alternative. The court at this time will fix next Friday, January 6th at 10 a.m. as day for passing sentence. The prisoner is remanded to the city jail. The jury is dismissed. Mr. Sergeant, I'm 
Mr. Sergeant to see you, Miss Leander. All right. This way, Mr. Sergeant. Ten minutes. Thanks. Hello. Do you realize what you've done? Yes. Do you realize it can't be undone? Yes. You understand there's no appeal, nothing but jail. How long will I get? Oh, how do I know? Maybe not very long, but if, if you'd kept your trap shut, you wouldn't be in here at all. Well, there wasn't anything else to do. You're so strong, and you argue so well, and I... I love you so much. Yeah, you certainly proved that. I'd always do what you wanted, even if it wasn't good for you. I'd never have a chance against you, and... you'd never have a chance with me. Like... well, like just now when you were trying to lose the case. Oh, aren't you ashamed? Oh, stop it. Oh, I know what you were trying to do. Save little Jackie's career from the bad, bad woman. Don't you think I'm the best judge of what's good for me and what I want most in this world? No. And while you were making your big gesture, did you stop to think how much you'd be hurting me? Do you think I'll stop loving you just because they lock you up with a bunch of hoodlums and hopheads for the next few years? I'm not much better. Well, you were good enough for me. Oh. Will you... Will you come and see me sometime? Come and see you? I'm going to send for the judge and marry you right this minute. Oh. Oh, no. Thanks, but if you still wanted me afterwards, you'd be a sucker if you did, but if you did, it wouldn't be the same. I'd be all square, and and you would have had plenty of time to think things over. I don't have to think. I'll be waiting for you, Lee. No matter how long it is, I'll be waiting. Jack, will you stand beside me and... Hold my hand when I'm sentenced. You know I will. Then I won't be afraid. It'll be kind of like a marriage at that, won't it? And the... the other part won't be so bad. Or so long. With your voice always in my ear. Your smile always before my eyes. And the... The feel of your hand, always in mine. Oh, Lee. I love you so. I love you so. Lee Leander and John Sargent will meet again in the not-too-distant future. Right now, we meet Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray again as they take a curtain call. Uh, CB, I, I think Fred ought to run for district attorney. A, a jury would be putty in his hands. Oh, not me, Barbara. I, I'd be scared to death making speeches in front of a lot of people. <laughs> oh, you'd get over that, Fred. There's a trick to it. You pick out one person in the audience and talk to him. Forget about the crowd. Oh, that doesn't work, C.B. Oh, you can't be sure until you try. I've tried it. You know, I used to play the saxophone in an orchestra. Well, that's nothing to be ashamed of, Fred. Uh, you never heard me play the saxophone. Well, uh, what I was going to tell you was that whenever one of us did a solo, we had to stand up. But I couldn't do it because I was, I was so scared my teeth chattered. You ever, you ever played the saxophone with your teeth chattering, C.B.? Fred, Fred I, I, I'm ashamed to say I, I've never played a saxophone. With or without my teeth chattering. <laughs> Well, somebody told me about that trick of looking at one person and forgetting about the crowd. 
So one night when my saxophone solo came along, I picked out a girl that was dancing just in front of the orchestra, and I played the saxophone right to her. Did it work? No, she stuck her tongue out at me. <laughs> Guess she must have been a music lover. <laughs> well, seriously, Fred, I enjoy doing Remember the Night with you both for the screen and here in the Lux Radio Theater this week. And now I, I want to say just a word about Lux Soap. I think it's a grand complexion care. I, I wouldn't be surprised if I said something like that before, C.B., mm. but... It's still true because I still use Lux Soap just as I have for years. I'll never get tired of hearing you say that, Barbara. What's the play for next week, C.B.? Next Monday night, our play is the great motion picture hit, Love Affair. And our stars will be Irene Dunn and William Powell. Love Affair, produced by Leo McCary for RKO, is one of the finest love stories the screen has given us in many years. <laughs> A drama that begins on shipboard and ends... Well, I'll leave that for next Monday night when we'll have William Powell and Irene Dunn as the lovers in our production of Love Affair. I'll take two seats on the living room aisle for that one, uh, C.B. Mm. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. The jury finds you both guilty of a great performance. Our sponsors, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday night when the Lux Radio Theater presents Irene Dunn and William Powell in Love Affair. This is Cecil B. DeMille saying goodnight to you from Hollywood. Heard in tonight's play were Lou Merrill as O'Leary, Jack Carr as Rufus, John Fee as Judge, Edward Marr as Tom, Wally Mayer as District Attorney, Celeste Rush as Mother, Arthur Q. Bryan as Mike, Walter White as Clerk, Sidney Newman as Cassidy, Anne Lee as secretary, and Warren Rock as a policeman. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers, and your announcer has been Melville Ruick. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. West Coast time, Christmas Eve day. Alt-Tab, Gasman, Alt-Tab, Fibberman, Alt-Tab, 1. Alt-Tab, Gasman, Alt-Tab, Fibberman, Alt-Tab, Bitful, Alt-Tab, Soundforge Pro 11.0.